1: Celebrate good times. Come on! Wow! Happy holidays, and it's almost <laughs>
2: New Year's, everybody. It is almost New Year's. Celebrating good times, and 2021 as a year in review. Can you believe it's 2021, and uh. it's almost over? <laughs> Can like, you believe it's almost 2022? There you go. There you go. Do you notice that 2022 is just 2020 and the word two after it? So maybe we're just going to be in the time loop here for a second.
1: also, it kind of feels like that. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, it is our annual year in review show. We're going to look back at 2021. We're going to discuss the ups, the downs, everything in between. Uh, also, we're going to, at the end of the episode, sort of look forward to 2022, see what's happening in magic, uh, what's going to happen with our channel, make some yeah. predictions, some hopes, some dreams, all that stuff. But first we have to talk about our awesome sponsors, channelfireball.com slash command. That is the place to go to order all of your magic products, singles, everything, anything. We're going to talk about a lot of cards on this episode, the best cards of the year, the most powerful commanders, lots of spicy stuff. Yeah. The best reprints this year, the coolest sets, everything that happened, our favorites, yada, yada channelfireball.com slash command is really the place to go to order your stuff. Their marketplace is awesome. The prices are very, very low. And, you're dealing with professionals because they vet all the vendors on their site, so you're going to get your stuff really, really fast and in good condition.
2: And previews have started for Comic Neon Dynasty, and these are some of the best looking cards I think we've ever seen in Magic. Finally, I'm like, yes, give me more showcase. Uh, So, channelfireball.com slash command is the place to get it. Yeah, Neon Dynasty looks insane. The artwork's crazy. Speaking of the artwork, the only place you can get the official art on playmats, sleeves, deck boxes, and more is from Ultra Pro. In fact, in front of us, we have some very special playmats. We showed them off in the last game night's episode, yeah, these the
1: hollow foil chibi oh, wow. planeswalker playmats. Yeah, teasing some kind of
2: upcoming secret lair, but this technology is brand new and the playmats feel just as amazing as the other ones. You don't sort of get that weird feeling sometimes when you, you know those like 3D pictures that have that velvety scratch thing. Right. No, these are perfectly smooth, they have stitch ed boarding and of course, bordering. Ultra Pros is the place to get it. They have been making high quality Magic the Gathering product for a long time. And if you want any awesome art, they're the place to go, including the secret lairs, like arts as well. That's true. They just they have everything. The
1: uh, Okun and split uh oh yeah the dice rom- from yeah, yeah, yeah. The, sorry not dice from run, the coin secret, flipping yeah from the secret layer commander <laughs> yep. the fibula where's waldo one the, i think uh, the, yeah so they, they have limited time sales as well so ultra Pro is a place to get all that stuff yeah they're really the best stuff to protect all your game pieces and then the final way to support all of our content is directly if you go to patreon.com slash command zone you get all kinds of perks like mm-hmm. watching game nights did you watch the uh bling miss episode yet it's really great really funny um it is you get to watch game nights and extra turns is coming up actually uh uh, at the time this video is coming out, I think if you're a patron, you'll get to watch it tomorrow, which Ooh, is again yeah. earlier than the general public. Patreon.com/slash command zone is a place to go. Also, uh we shout out one lucky patron every single episode, and this episode is dedicated, dedicated to, to Shirley. knee Shirley. Shirley, Shirley, you rock, Shirley, indeed.
2: <laughs> don't call me Shirley, don't call me. <laughs> 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 Thank you, Shirley. All right, uh, all right,
1: let's, let's get into it. the main topic here, which is our urine review for 2021. We're going to quickly just recap, because in the office, we were sort of talking about the stuff that happened over the year and the Mm -hmm. things we should talk about on this episode. And people kept being surprised by some of, like, that was this year? Because so much (laughs) product has come out this year? I shouldn't laugh like that. It should be more of like, oh, yeah, you're right. (laughs) So we're just going to quickly run down sort of the major set releases of the year when they came out. Um, I'm sure they'll do some sort of graphical timeline here so that we can visually represent it. <laughs> All right. They're like, oh, why'd you say that, Josh? Yeah, why'd you say that? Yeah, they're just going to use
2: that uh, the timeline from the the year, the next year's product from the year oh, before. Right. the announcement from <laughs> yeah. the end of 2020. All right, so first up, we had Kaldheim, sort of the Norse-inspired Viking set in February, and this was the set that had snow-covered lands in it for 2021. It seems like we're kind of getting one set every year that has snow-covered lands. Uh, of course, also, Kaldheim did come with two Commander decks. This is what Wizards has been doing now for for every commander, or for every standard legal set,
1: yeah, the set decks, uh, we've called them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, February fifth, call time. I totally forgot that was this year. It felt like last. It year. It felt
2: like last yeah. year. In fact, I was on the website that was organizing set releases, and they had it sort of in last year's slot as well. So, it and that that set was packed with so much stuff, and the lore was so deep, and we only got to be there for one set, so that was a bit
1: of a bummer for me. Uh, the second big set release of the year was Time Spiral Remastered on March nineteenth. This was a reprint set um it featured special old framed versions of classic cards like eternal witness yeah. and vandal blast they basically took the times Pro block and then culled it all down to one set that was kind of meant to be a quote-unquote draft set but it ended mm-hmm. up being like a really good reprint set for commander too
2: yeah because they had these sort of clay crazy good looking old bordered cards a lot of people love that style especially the foils and stuff were really collectible uh and it actually did a little bit in driving prices down we'll talk a little bit that a little bit about that later The third set was the first of two Commander sets, as well as a standard set. It was Strixhaven and Strixhaven Commander, which came out on April 23rd. So right now we are three for three, February, March,
1: April. Yeah. Um and the Strixhaven Commander was technically C21, I think, what mm-hmm. would have been the old Commander product in the old days because there was five Commander decks for Strixhaven. Uh, Strixhaven also had the cool Mystical Archive stuff where they reprinted oh, yeah. in a special slot a bunch of cool cards. And they also had the sweet uh, Japanese versions of yep. like, the Demonic Tutor is beautiful. There's, yeah. yeah, really cool stuff going on there. Strixhaven, again, feels like a long time ago now.
2: Yeah, it did. Uh, these were all of the enemy ki- pu- uh, color pairings, right? Red, white, all those. Yes. Yes.
1: But they renamed like Boros the, was now Lorehold and, well, not renamed, but created another new secondary. Names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Witherbloom, Silver Quill, etc.
2: Yeah. And then after that, we had one of the biggest sets of the year. This is June 18th, Modern Horizons 2, the second time we've done the Modern Horizons, to add brand new cards, legal cards into the modern format. But more importantly, you know, the last time this came around, people were like, this is Commander Horizons. If you guys remember, we did the Game Nights episode with Graham and Kathleen, where we played, I played Hogak and a bunch of other really powerful cards, a bunch that had to get banned from Modern. But Modern Horizons 2, again, had a huge impact on us because of all the reprints and, again, tons of staples for Commander.
1: Yeah, they make all these new cards for Modern that this is a way for them to make cards that go directly into Modern and bypass Standard. Mm -hmm. And generally, that means cards that would otherwise probably be too powerful for standard or oh, yeah. warp standard. <laughs> but what that means is those cards are often also very good in commander because power level wise, you know, commander's gotten to the point where, you know, you have to reach a, uh, reach a thir- certain threshold before yeah. you're of commander caliber. So Modern Horizons just tends to give us a lot of, Reprints that are really good and Mm -hmm. new cards that are really good for for Commander.
2: Yeah, Modern, I think, is right around the power threshold of where Commander decks sort of get to their max power. Like, there are some decks that are more similar to Legacy in Commander, but I'd say for the most part, people are around that Modern-esque power level.
1: I think Modern is probably about as powerful now as Legacy was when we started this podcast seven years ago. Geez. Because yeah. so many cards have come out in the interim. Two Modern Horizon sets. Oh, just, yeah, thousands and thousands, thousands of cards. Of and they're cards, making more yeah. cards than ever before. So. Yeah, a good point. Uh, the fifth set of the year was Forgotten Realms. Uh, this was on July 23rd. And again, there was a main set mm-hmm. and a commander product, full-on commander product tied to this set. Um, so AFR and AFC. This was the first time ever that they did a full integration of a, an outside IP, intellectual property, into magic. Mm -hmm. So this was kind of a big thing. Uh, All this stuff was, I like how you wrote down, non-canon in the D&D universe. Yeah.
2: (laughs) So anything that happened in this magic set isn't actually what happened in Dungeons & Dragons. Right. It's like they had a fever dream and then became
1: magic cards. (laughs) Also, you'll notice there was no mixing of IP so Jace did not show up right. in the world of Dungeons and Dragons I think that was very purposeful and probably something we can expect moving forward where they're mm. going to bring in IP but they're not going to mix IP so any set will sort of stand alone be in the world that it's in but you're not going to see Nyssa and a Johnny like fighting <laughs> Drist- besides Dristorden and Brunor yeah yeah um, <laughs> again that might change but the do you want that? It, it makes sense having dealt with ip on the studio side for a long time it gets real messy when you start crossing them so i can see why yeah. they wouldn't want to wade into those waters notably dungeon dragons
2: is also one of the ips owned by wizards of the coast yeah. so even though it is a different one it is still quote-unquote in-house so it makes sense to me that this was also their first step into this sort of universe is beyond universe
1: of course they've done walking dead uh, godzilla some other things in the past but those were like a, a few parts. yes yeah, this stuff. is yeah this was like full on the whole Set. Yeah, and not
2: just that, but also four commander decks that went with it. If you guys remember the game nights we did with Joe Manganello and Becca, uh that was again, so this is now the second commander sort of deck set within this year. Yeah, so. it could have
1: been a full commander product, and it really was, mm-hmm. which we have no way to really define because in the past it would be like C15 would be the commander decks from 2015, yeah. C17 the commander decks from 2017. Well, C21 is a little messy because Strixhaven technically is that, mm-hmm. but Forgotten Realms also could have easily been that if Strixhaven wasn't there, right? Because four decks, and really the number of new cards in the decks was what we'd expect from from a commander product. And there were
2: a lot of, there have been cases where the C sets are four decks as well. I remember one year there was
1: four decks. Oh yeah, no, for many years actually. They they went from five down to four for a while, and then they went back up to five, Mm -hmm. only with like no, with Icoria, right recently yes was Icoria 5 decks oh gosh I think it was let's gamble and say it was okay alright card card. Uh, and the
2: sixth sixth sort of major release of the year was the first of two it's Innistrad Midnight Hunt on September 24th so this is back to Innistrad one of the players favorite planes of all time and then there were two sets that accompanied Innistrad Midnight Hunt uh, this was the first of the two this was the werewolf quote unquote werewolf themed set um, and again two commander decks came along with this one this was the Will the Rock cleaver era as and then uh, this was the game nights where we played with sholo and he played tovalar and yep. then Voxy played uh Cigarda. uh
1: once again two commander decks mm-hmm. the set decks um i had to get on my phone really quick here because the seventh set we had written down is coming out september 25th oh that's it not true one day after <laughs> uh but, but that's what it felt like yeah <laughs> that's true uh, so the, the the last sort of major set released this year was the most recent one innistrad crimson vow it came out on november uh 19th mm-hmm. um it was almost uh, hearkening back to the old days of uh, of set blocks when there were yeah. multiple sets in the same world, although you don't draft these together like you used to in the old days. Uh, it also came with two Commander decks. This is the Vampire-themed set, and, of course, this was the Game Nights episode, the first ever Game Nights episode that neither Jimmy or I were playing at the table. <gasps> yeah, we called it the Dame Nights or Dame Nights. Ladies' Nights. Yeah. It had uh, Josephine McAdam and uh, Ellie of the Veil vale mm-hmm. with Ashlyn and Lady Danger uh, playing in that game, which was a really fun game. Yeah. And uh, Josephine and in character a lot of the time like it was Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Um so if you count
2: that up that is con- counting the Commander releases with it not not the two commander decks but uh Forgotten Realms and Strict Seven Commander that is nine total product releases in 2021 all of which we had to do. Well, we had to do the the other commander decks too but we did card reviews for every single one of these.
1: It so. really did feel like we were kind of in set review mode for a lot of the year and we've talked about this on the show and I think we've gotten a better handle on how to yeah. handle that now but it all- <laughs> It took us a little while, because we were on, like, when a set comes out, we do this. And then it was like, oh, crap, they're coming out so fast. Should we do it differently? Should we Mm -hmm. do it this way? Should we do it that way? Let me ask you a question, Jimmy. Yeah. All those stuff all this stuff that came out from Kaldheim to Crimson Vow, what was your favorite set of the year? And I like what you did there. Let's let's count the Commander products as kind of their own thing. So there's nine to choose from. So
2: I think personally, from a player perspective, Modern Horizons 2, both from a collector perspective, cards perspective, that was by far the best set. But I think my actual favorite set was probably Forgotten Realms. Yeah. Because I just liked seeing so many of my friends that have never played the mm-hmm. game before get into it. Um, that was one of my favorite episodes to film with Joe uh, as well as like all of the cards. I'm, I'm personally not a big D&D fan so seeing even you and other people freak out about Icing Death and all of the props and, and Dritz and all that stuff was really cool because it got me into another universe that I've now just sort of dived in a little deeper as a result. So that was I'd say the most expansive for me as a quote unquote gamer. But as a Magic Player and
1: Horizons too. I like what you said there because, uh, dnd really i felt like gave us an opportunity to kind of uh reach out and meet a lot of the cool people in the role-playing community yeah. which is big in la b dave walters eric mm-hmm. she becca's big in that world uh we had a lot of people from the la by night which is not dnd but in the role-playing yeah. world uh on the crimson vow episode yeah it's a great point yeah. we expanded
2: our sort of like roster of friends that we get to work with and yeah and, and a lot of started the with play
1: magic right? are around the periphery of magic and yeah. we might be able to pull them in so that's been really cool i think my favorite from uh just you know. You know, Commander Player perspective uh, set of the year was the Strixhaven commander decks. I thought they really oh, nice. did a really great job with those. Um, Ozgear was really cool. All the all the um, commanders in the set were really cool. Mm-hmm. Not too powerful. Nothing was broken. At the same time, everything felt fun and a lot of it was different than the normal stuff. Like, Ozgear is not what Boros is normally doing. So, yeah. I thought they really did give cool flavor to the colleges from Strixhaven that way and, and I thought those decks were really uh, knocked out of the park. Probably the best or second best pre-cons in my es- estimation ever after a... Um, the only other one that's kind of of that caliber, I think, is C16 with the four colors yep. and the original partners. Legendary. Yeah. Also, not to mention, Strixhaven was the first time we sort of
2: did a skit. Oh, yeah. And that, I think, has like paved a path. We'll talk about this later. But that sort of has paved a path for content for what we're doing in the future.
1: Okay. I don't think we can talk about 2021 without... Sort of normally I would throw this paper, but I might need <laughs> yeah, to reference the, the set. Re- yeah, important. So I won't throw it. Sorry, everybody that was looking forward to that. Um, <laughs> uh, so I'll yeah, I don't think you. we could really talk about twenty twenty one just the set releases. We have to talk about secret layer. Yes, because, there were a lot of them this year. Yeah, there were a ton this year, and this is really the second full year that they've done secret layers. They did a little bit at the end of twenty nineteen, mm-hmm. but twenty twenty was the first sort of year where there were secret layers throughout the year, and this year was the second year, and obviously there were more. Yep. Um so i don't know these are mostly reprints we didn't get a lot of new cards we did get the stranger things secret layer Mm -hmm. which was a little bit controversial we'll talk about that later and the arcane secret layer but but those are reprints reprints, yeah Yeah.
2: but that is a it's like a it's like is it a reprint or is it a a new
1: ip is it a new ip but not a reprint is it a new card it's more like godzilla i feel like where they were yeah yeah yeah, yeah, they were reskins um uh, I Stranger Things is weird because how do you talk about it? it we don't have the cards yet, right? We yeah, have. You order them, them yeah, they won't that. get shipped, and two people until next year. So we do. We talk about them next year. It's it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I would like to ask you, Jimmy. What do you think about Secret Layer in general and the direction that it is sort of taking magic? So when I first saw Secret Lair, I was like, oh, I get it. This is like an occasional
2: kind of like Commander Collections. It's going to come out every now and then. again. They're going to base it off something special, a cool theme. I remember when we previewed it, it was like the Kaleidoscope Killers with all yeah, the yeah. cool dragons and stuff. I was like, oh, nice. I, ex- I can expect to see this maybe a couple of times a year in the same way
1: that we see conspiracy type sets. Like yeah, I was type. thinking of it like Commander Collection or the what were the boxes, the Spell Singer boxes or whatever. That Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Something so, like Commander Anthology or that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's not the case. That is
2: not the case. It's been an on-ramp and the ramp has been going upwards in terms of frequency. And it's not something I necessarily disagree with because they'll find great reasons to do a lot of them. Like they did uh, ones for Extra Life. They've done ones for bunches of charities and stuff. And they'll have product tied to that. And then the proceeds go to charity and it's like, oh, that's cool. That's great. We're actually supporting the cause and we're getting like much needed reprints like to face protection or whatever it is. But this year, as someone that likes to collect stuff, I was at my wits end. Cause I would just, I would be bouncing between getting the email five months later of saying, here's your thing, finally shipping. And then two emails in between being like here at brand new releases that you won't expect to get anytime soon, but here they are and they're really cool and you probably want to buy them. So I personally got a little exhausted by how many were shipped out, but looking at the actual cards, I think they've done a really good job finding cards that people want to get. Like the Phyrexian secret lair might be the most successful secret lair of all time for good reason. And I've seen them doing similar things where they know, for instance, the Arcane one, they're like Rhystic Study. This card needs to get reprinted. Here's a good way to put a bunch out into the market because we're not the only people collecting this. Some stores would just go out there and just buy 30 of them just because they're just good to have on the shelves or yeah. whatever they want to do with them. So it is pushing a lot more product into the market, but it's also making sort of the collector's I think a little exhausted wallet
1: wise. Yeah, it's it's overwhelming, and I think that's going to be a theme of this year with the just a raw amount of stuff that came out. Yeah, like at first I was trying to keep up, and you know we, we have a Magic podcast, a whole company that's basically built around the game of Magic. <laughs> it's probably no surprise that we try and like get most Magic cards at least one. So early on, I was like trying to get every secret layer, and I fell off the wagon some point at the end of twenty yeah, twenty, and this now I just year. am like I can't get them all. They, there's too many all the time. Mm-hmm. So now I'm I'm sort of like if there's a card or something really cool that I really want, I'll get it. But in general, I, I don't. Um, about the reprints thing, I, I'm curious because they price these at a point where the reprints are not really that much cheaper than what you could just buy the single for mm, often. Mm. So I don't know that the reprints have the effect that we would want from reprints. Because generally when people are saying, hey, we want you to reprint these cards, they're not saying we want access <laughs> to the cards products. at the same price that I could get them on, you know, channelfireball.com slash command. They're <laughs> saying that I want access to the cards at a cheaper price. So what I would want you to do is put them in booster packs or something where they're going to come out and people are going to get them for three dollars on accident and mm-hmm. then sell them and then will bring the price down and up the supply. And I don't know that Secret Layer really accomplishes that goal. Yeah, we're always talking about is it worth it with the precons and with those
2: decks that are have reprints and stuff in them. I think the most recent addition to Secret Lair that changes even what it is is sort of the the Xander Split Okun deck. Yeah, there's that's... an entire deck now that you can get that 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 is based off Gavin's deck, and that obviously has great value in it because you're buying it at a, a different price. It's similar to a precon, but you do have a good point. Sometimes the the price is if you divide it up right like divide by five or how many cards in there it's about the same um but what we have seen is that for almost every single secret layer after it's sold the individual prices of all the cards combined is more than the original sell price and that has been consistent across the board so as far as that part of the collecting goes people can expect to gain value but it doesn't you're right it may not necessarily have as large of an impact on reprints as i may have stated
1: um, okay, let's look at the totality of last year's set releases, secret layers. What are some things that sort of stand out to you about the year? Uh, there were a lot, but it was um, astoundingly actually
2: less total sets than 2020, which I thought we were still on that train going up. Um, but we did have a lot of new non reprint sets. So that was also interesting too.
1: Yeah, so 2020 had eight. Mm-hmm. Total sets, because there was, like, Jump Starts and some other sort of... Right. There there was Mystery Boosters. Commander Legends. Uh, yep. So, there was a lot of reprint sets last year. So, this year had more new sets. It had five sort of non-reprint yeah, sets. Yeah, non-reprint that, That's what I'm yeah. saying. Non-reprint sets. Non-reprint sets are standard legal... Not necessarily standard legal. Modern Horizon 2 counts here, too. Mm-hmm. Versus four last year. So, I believe... And there was... The other thing is there are 15 Commander precons this year and nine last year. And before last year, the most ever in a year was five. So we're three times the most wow. ever. Please uh, do not keep that going. <laughs> yeah, I think we're gonna talk about that more later. But so a lot more new cards for Commander came out this year than last year, even though there were sort of quote unquote less yeah. um less new sets.
2: Yeah, I will say that obviously we were not filled to the brim with cards like Hulk breacher and opposition agent this year, the general power level was a lot better. Uh, and a lot of cards would just sort of like sift into our collective imagination or our collective memories of like, oh yeah, that was that thing back then. But you're not going to see it every single time at the table like a Doc's extortionist or whatever. Yeah. So even though there were more cards, fortunately, I think they were able to tone the power level down. But that still means Josh and I have to sit here and review <laughs> oodles and oodles of more cards and not get to the episodes that people want a lot of times, which is more about the gameplay and the politicking and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't know that the audience has that content creator perspective, so it might not matter to them. But I, I think your comment earlier about it being overwhelming. Just the sheer number of stuff starts to make it hard to keep track of and hard to get as excited because I can't even remember half the things we talked about this year. Yeah, so that that's one of the reasons for this episode, because I think we're <laughs> gonna keep going like, oh yeah, that was this year. Um so anyway, it'd be interesting to hear from people out there if they're feeling that same way. Yeah. Another thing this year kind of brought into sharp focus, I think, is Commander's ascendancy to being th- standalone, not like, for years and years we are like, it's one of the most, Mm. first we started out and it was like a fringe format that not very many people played. And then it kind of started to get more popular and we were like, oh, it might be one of the more popular ways to play Magic up there with standard and modern and limited. And limited, yeah. Yeah. And then in the last few years we started being like, it might be the most popular way to play paper magic. And they've all but confirmed it now that and it is. Yeah. Now it just straight up is the most popular way to play magic. I think all signs point to that. All So much content about commander is out mm-hmm. there now. When we first started, most content was about standard and limited and there was almost no commander content. Um, So there's been a lot of... They they axed the MPL and competitive magic is going to sort of, as we know it, end uh, after this season. And so even pro magic is kind of like taking a backseat to commander. It's kind of crazy yeah i think emerging out of the pandemic too you'll you
2: you, you can conceivably run an entire grand prix slash magic fest just around commander yeah they and just started it, to do that before the pandemic and it may be more popular than a standard one at yeah. this point right we're getting to that point and i remember maro had a, a poll on his twitter like uh, two years ago and it said limited and commander were tied for the most popular i can almost assure you that commander has surged past that by this point
1: i think you can tell in the way the cards are designed and the sets come out now The focus has shifted so much towards Commander, so many more pre-cons, and so many more cards in every set geared towards Commander players. Yeah. Clearly designed for us. So that's been really uh, a big change to see, and I think the Pendulum finally we could say now, just like Commander, is the most popular paper format yep it has the monarch and it's it gonna draw a card at the end of the that turn. means everybody else limited is coming for it yeah <laughs> standard is coming for it this is yeah, be attacking yeah, yeah. Soon.
2: if they even have the appetite to, they might just be like you know what we're good we're gonna chill over here <laughs> you you just run away with the game
1: okay so that brings us to sort of our next talking point which we've been dancing around or brought up already which is there too much product is yes. the question. <laughs> so there was more new cards this year than ever before and unlike other years Besides maybe 2020, which was, quote unquote, the year of Commander. But I would say that this year had even more cards for Commander than the the self-titled year, year of, of Commander did. Maybe it was better to be called the first year of Commander. <laughs> and now we are in the, the second, second year, year of, of Commander. Commander. Yeah. So you've got a year where more new cards come out and more of them are pointed at our format and designed for our format than ever before. Um, it really did feel like we were in set review mode yep. all year. Yeah, it was like set review, set review, set review, one to two to three episodes of something
2: that wasn't a set review, maybe a roundtable, and then right back into it.
1: Yeah. So what do you think about this massive increase in commander popularity and therefore Wizards of the Coast concentrating on the format? Is this yeah. net good? Is it bad? Like, how do you feel about it? I think it's net good that they're concentrating more
2: on the format because we've seen this pattern happen before with Wizards where they'll go a little too far right i think true name nemesis was the original going too far (laughs) and then they pull it back a little bit and then they go too far and then they pull it back a little bit and oftentimes because of the two-year development cycle it requires a lot of player feedback and the more players that are in the game that means there's more iteration there's more uh, people talking and playing and doing stuff about it and that sort of group analysis and sort of like an open source intelligence community of all of the magic players doing this is extremely valuable and you know that wizards as they begin to design more teams around magic put more people like gavin in charge that are more Connected to the community and can watch and engage with more content and have people like Post Malone bring more players in. That means that they're going to get better at at getting, not necessarily using qualitative feedback from the players. And I think we're slowly starting to see that because we're making less big mistakes. Which I think Hole Breacher and you know Opposition Agent to me are Jewel still in Jewel those yeah. are still mistakes, but we're seeing less of that. I think.
1: Yeah, I think. I'm a little bit more apprehensive about them concentrating so hard on commander because there is a business factor to it where they mm. need to, you know, if you've identified this as a big market and you need to Oh yeah. service that market, which that means sell things to those people. <laughs> the, you know, you're going to have pressure to create cards that those players want to use and generally the easiest way to do that not the only way mm-hmm. is to create powerful stuff and I think we've seen the format speed up a lot in just the last like two and a half three years yeah uh, and this is probably a direct correlation with just more stuff being designed for commander and once this format starts to speed up it's really hard to slow it down because there's no rotation so anything you've created just always exists in the format and so every arcane signet that you make or you know something like that this. yeah just and, and if you haven't watched the the last episode of uh, the holiday episode of Game Nights plug ears for a second. I'm not going to give away the ending exactly, but I was really surprised because that game was played with four decks that had pretty stringent um, requirements, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we said, oh, Narset Enlightened Masterpieces. That's cool, because we can put in a lot of masterpieces, but that's not what an optimal, fully-tuned Narset deck would want to be built as, right? True. You played an Atraxa Secret Super Friends deck, right? An Atraxa Super Friends deck can play all the Planeswalkers that are in those colors. You were like, I can only play the Secret Layer ones, which aren't, yeah. there aren't that many. I played Dragons Without Borders. I was <laughs> only allowed to use Borderless cards. Borderless cards, there's not actually very many. Most of the Borderless cards that exist in Magic are within the last, like, three years. You can even play Shiv and Drag- yeah, my <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, so uh, there were a lot of dragons where you're like that, which should go in, but there's no borderless version of it. Yeah, or you're yeah, yeah. like, there's other like ramp cards or staple cards can't play it. There's no borderless version of it. And yet, with those stringent requirements on the deck, narrowing what we could play, that game was still hyper fast and ended on like turn six or seven. Yeah, yeah and yeah, yeah. and that that was with you know really really strict. Deck requirements. And I just, I think that just shows because most of the fancy cards in Magic, the promo cards that we were using, are new cards mm-hmm. because they didn't make a lot of like fancy versions of Magic cards up until like 2016 or so. Yeah. those new cards we played, the ones that you played
2: especially, and uh, also was played by uh, Olivia, 100% were huge swings in the game.
1: Yeah. And I think that shows that the cards in the last like three or four years are very powerful cards yeah, and pushing yeah, yeah. the format faster and faster. And so that's my worry about this amount of products. I think no matter what, an eternal format has a sort of limited shelf life because as more and more cards get produced, every time you create a one mana or two mana staple. It's really hard to supplant that to get it out of the format because anything else that comes out, well, you still play that. Yeah. You still play Arcane Signet. Something else comes out, you might play it instead of something else, but Arcane Signet is going to stay until you create something better than Arcane Signet that would <laughs> it, kick it out, right? Which yeah. just speeds up the format over time. So naturally, it can't last forever. And concentrating on the format and the way they are, I feel like that's just speeding up that process.
2: Yeah, there may be a, a necessity to be more open about telling people, like, right, your playgroup does des- decide the pace and everything because there are plenty of playgroups. Out there that are still battlecruiser magic. Yeah, that number I think is decreasing. Maybe it actually who knows, right? Maybe more of those play groups exist, but a lot of those play groups also are evolving to get faster and faster. So it's one of those things where it's sort of a race to the bottom of the CMC because <laughs> it's just how fast can you make your decks? Um, and it's interesting because I think for a lot of players there is a lot of. Happiness about that. They like that fast paced, kind of trying to combo off by turn three or four or five now. And it's starting to feel more like C E D H over time. And that might just be there might just be a natural delineation that happens between like people that don't ever want to be close to C E D H and are okay with sevens and eights. And then the people that always are trying to push towards the nines and tens.
1: The social contract and rule zero can only get you so far though, because like I said, we built the four decks for the holiday episode on purpose with a lot of guidelines and restrictions, Mm -hmm. and it was still a very fast game. So it's just I think at a certain point when there's so many cards available that are that powerful it's hard to artificially from the out, without like rules that keep right. you to to cuz our play group purposely doesn't play CDH, right? Mm-hmm. But it has gotten a lot faster over the last few years. Just naturally, new cards come out, people put those cards in their deck. That's just going to happen.
2: Yeah, a lot of my decks, I were I was playing them the other week and I realized, wow, these just don't cut it anymore in our playgroup. Um, they might in a random playgroup over here or wherever else, or, or they might hold their own in some parts. But for this particular group, I was like, I need to actually go and make serious adjustments to these if I want to keep up. Um, so, who knows? Yeah, and,
1: and, I, and it's not like our playgroup is building CDH decks, right? They're no. just building decks around new commanders that... And they're building them, you know, to a power level that, of, of the cards that they've got or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like every single time
2: a new zero mana counterspell gets printed, that's just one more notch against you needing to build something that slightly beats that.
1: Yeah. Uh, I did want to bring up one counterpoint really quickly before we move on, which is that um, according to Scryfall, in 2021, there were 185 new commanders created. Mm-hmm. And in 2020, there was 186. Ooh. So there was actually one more new Commander made uh, last year than this year, which I'm not sure what it indicates. I think it indicates that Commander Legends had 71 new legendary creatures, and right. that's like a large chunk, and we didn't yeah. have a Commander Legends this year. Oh, that's a good point. That's good. Um but still, that that could be a counterpoint somebody could throw out of like, hey, they didn't actually make more cards for Commander this year. I think they did because it's very close with no Commander Legends. It's one difference. And I would say cards in the 99, yeah. there's going to be a Maybe lot Maybe instead more. of Commander Legends, we got AFR Commanders. So. Yeah. All right. Let's move the discussion on to a fun... A, a topic, which is what were the best new cards of the year? We just did a podcast episode talking about the team's favorite cards of the year, the cards we love from this year. But now we want to talk about the most powerful cards mm-hmm. that we think came out this year. So in past years, it would have been Holebreacher, Breacher, Jeweled Lotus, Opposition Agent, that kind of stuff. What did we get this year that we think are the most powerful cards? And and we put a bunch of um, nominees on here. Yeah, in no particular order, but this first one is the card that I played on game nights the most. It's Delphi
2: Voidwalker. This is a black, black creature, Dalthy Rogue, and it does a lot. It helps exile cards from opponent's graveyards, uh, and then they get void counters, and then you can sacrifice the Void Voidwalker to choose one of those exile cards an opponent has and play it without paying its mana cost. It's a 2-mana 3-2 with Shadow as well, so it has a lot going for it. Um, this is a card that I think they just absolutely stacked with a lot of text. So pushed. And it's really pushed. And, I mean, the crazy thing is that it does a very relevant effect, which is play
1: cards... I mean, stop opponents' cards from going to the graveyard from anywhere... Yeah, it's, it's graveyard hate for two mana on a creature that also allows you to cheat the mana cost of a spell later yeah. if you feel like it. A lot of times people just play Dalthy Voidwalker and just let, let it sit, sit there, there and close a deck. Like, just turn off the Carador deck or whatever. Yeah, it
2: doesn't even need to do the other part of it. We used to play cards just to do this effect, rest in peace and all that sort of stuff, do similar things. Dalthy Voidwalker has other
1: parts on it, and it can occasionally attack with shadow and just do a bunch of damage. This is on my every black deck. If it, if the deck has the color black, I... I it will be strictly better if it has Douthy Voidwalker than if it doesn't.
2: Yeah. I, I don't have Even like a five-color deck with black yep. in it because there are just so many cards with more than one black pip in their mana cost.
1: Yep. Uh, the next one, again, and these are in no particular order, but the next most, or sorry, best card of the year is Esper Sentinel. One mana for a 1-1 whenever an opponent casts their first non-creature spell each turn. Draw a card unless that player plays X where X is Esper Sentinel's Power. Wow. One mana, it's an artifact creature, and it's
2: just a mystic Remora, basically.
1: It's a white Mystic Remora. It does tend to play out similarly. It doesn't have cumulative upkeep. That's the upside. The downside is that it is a creature and they only have to pay one. But mm-hmm. it it almost always draws you a couple of cards and, and also, you're in white, so you often can just put a sword on it or something, and all of a sudden they got to pay three, and then it's just drawing you cards all the time.
2: Or anything that just makes your artifacts buffer. There's lots of cards that synergize well with Esper Sentinel. It fits into tons of different archetypes that have white in it, and white just mono-white just slams us in there without even blinking an eye.
1: Yeah, uh, again, this is a card that if a deck I'm playing has white in it, then I want an Esper Sentinel in that deck. It is definitely a staple now. Yep. Uh, going down the Artifact Terrain, we also have Urza's Saga, and this is a land
2: that is an enchantment land, but also a saga, so it comes in and it gains the ability to add a Carlos mana, and then your next turn on your main phase, it gains the ability to tap for, you pay two and tap it, and you create a Urza's construct, basically, or a construct that is a zero zero 0 that gets plus one, plus one for each artifact you control. And then the third turn, you can do that same ability. You can pay two and tap it to make another construct, but you also sacrifice the Urza Saga to search your library for an artifact cost with mana cost zero or one, and then you cheat it onto the battlefield and then you shuffle. So this is a land that tutors and also can make you two creatures that will grow in size. And it's huge in modern and I believe even legacy. Um, It's a very powerful card. It has so much going on with it. And not to mention some of the best artifacts in the game are at zero and one mana cost.
1: Yeah, you you use it as your land drop, you use it for two turns, the third turn, you go get your soul ring, your mana crypt, or some, or, you know, Sensei's Divine Atop, or Skull Clamp, or something, these are all cards that you would want in your opening hand, this basically finds it, it puts it on the battlefield, too, that's, like, one of the more nutty things, yeah, that card's... Very, very good. Uh, The next one is Sword of Hearth and Home. This is three mana for uh, an artifact equipment. Two to equip gives plus two, plus two, and protection from green and white. And then whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, you exile up to one target creature you own. Search your library for a basic land card. Put both of those cards onto the battlefield under your control, then shuffle. So yeah, um, sort of something and it puts a land into play
2: yeah so sort of the emus does it on attack but this does it on combat damage but it also blinks so if you have the enter the battlefield effects it can blink uh the creature that has it attached it's just a strong
1: strong card as always all right the next one is wandering archaic this is five mana for a four four whenever an opponent casts an instant or sorcery spell they may pay two if they don't you may copy that spell you may choose new targets for the copy Now, this is an MDFC, so there's a second side which you never see, but technically you can do it. It's Explore the Vast Lands for three-mana sorcery. Each player looks at the top five cards of their library, reveals a land card and or an incident or sorcery card from among them, puts those revealed cards uh, into their hand and the rest on the bottom of their library in a random order. Each player gains three life. (laughs) It just sits out there and makes all instants and sorceries um, hard for your opponents to cast if you hold up mana depending on what it is. They'll still cast obviously like board mm. wipes and things. I don't care if you copy. Uh, it's very, very powerful. I have found it to be sort of Less good than it reads, but you often will play it to sort of lock up the game once you're in a very powerful position. Mm -hmm. So you can go, boom, play it, and now it's hard for them to counter things if you just hold up mana, that kind of stuff. Yeah, because you can just, you know, pay. Well, they have to pay, two for each
2: additional thing. Otherwise, you just copy it and you counter their counter or whatever it is. Yep. Pretty good. Uh, next up is Ink Shield. It's three white and a black for an instant. That is a fog. It prevents all common damage that will be dealt to you this turn. And for each one damage prevented this way, create a two one white and black Inkling creature token with
1: flying. So if you prevent five damage, you make five two ones. I have died to this card a lot because it's different than Arachnogenesis, which it makes a thing per creature attacking you. Yeah. Nope. This <laughs> is. <laughs> Yeah, if if you're gonna get hit for think of it very often in commander games, you just are like they're like I swing at you for nine, and you're just like yeah, I eat the nine. Like yeah, it's I'm at forty, it's fine. But when you do that, and somebody goes yeah, I make nine two one flyers. Whoops, uh you're probably gonna die to the nine two one flyers on the next turn. Cause if
2: it, someone swings at you with like all right, I have a million of these to swing at you, I create, like, I'll ink shield it, make a million things, and I'll just kill everybody on the altar next of dementia.
1: <laughs> it, yeah, it's. That card is insane. If anybody is in black and red, or sorry, black and white and has five mana open, you got to be real careful. Real careful, yeah. Yeah. Because they could also have every single removal spell from the history of Magic the (laughs) (laughs) All right. And the last uh, best card of the year that we're going to talk about, these were all nominated by uh, our team as well. So it's not just Jimmy and mine. um, Is the Meat Hook Massacre. Black, black, and X for a legendary enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, each creature gets negative X, negative X until end of turn. Whenever a creature you control dies, each opponent loses one life. And whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, you gain one life. Mm, aristocrats, they need more help. They got it. And they got the board wipe at the same time. Yeah, an X board wipe that just also sticks around and is kind of like a blood artist. Insane. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and it's each opponent, too. It's not just target opponent. I will say what I like about this list of best cards, There d- does not feel like there's a whole breacher on it. Yeah. It's true. There are a lot of black and white cards, though. There are, which is, the white part is good. Black didn't need a ton of help, but I'm yeah. glad white, you know, got some help. Well, actually, I guess white just got one, and then ink shield is just like half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Black got, yeah, a color, uh, uh. yeah. I mean, a lot of the cards we're going to mes- we're gonna list as most powerful or best are going to be colorless, because they can just go in more decks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think Esper Sentinel is the best card of the year, though, without a doubt. I think so, considering that it's in white. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah Delthi's yeah. close though. Delthi Voidwalker is just it like is. I, yeah. Go out and buy. I don't even know. It's probably expensive already.
2: Uh, it's not too bad because Modern Horizons two was one of the most open sets of all time. So. Well, that card is going to be very expensive. If they don't reprint it. Like yeah, actually agreed. Yeah, it's it's it, that card feels like dockside status in, yeah. in a couple of ways.
1: That's for Sentinel too, but that I know that is already expensive. Yeah.
2: All right. Uh, now let's look at the what we consider the most powerful new commanders we won't go too deep into yeah let's this. not read each one this time we'll yeah. just talking you talk about, about them <laughs> so we're just looking at raw power level here first up is Beladros witherbloom josh uses this to great effect in the last game nights this on top all your lands yeah for 10 life and then you're making a one one that gains you life every single every upkeep nuts very good card
1: yeah if you could get it out there you're gonna take over the game because once per turn so you can do it on other people's turns yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That, that's crazy there I'm was not, a bunch of good mono colored stuff this is kind of cool yeah Uh, Lier, Disciple of the Drowned. Orvar, the all form. Um, Copying permanence. I am actually playing uh, my Orvar deck on the next episode of Extra Turns, which if you're watching this podcast the day it comes out, that Extra Turns hasn't come out yet. Mm. Um, I really like the Orvar deck. It has really interesting lines of play, but it is very powerful. In fact, my Orvar deck, I purposely have tried to build so that it doesn't combo off, Mm. which is very hard to do. Every time it combos, I take one of the combo pieces out of the deck and yet sometimes still it will be yeah, like keep going, keeps yeah. yeah. Uh
2: Ragavan, Nibble, Pilfer uh, this card has affected every single legacy and modern format on the
1: planet and v- very good in Commander I think it could have gone on our best new cards of the year list as well yeah. it's like a Red Birds of Paradise, it really is
2: yeah, and then there's Magda, Brazen Outlaw that I played on game nights, this is just like a super combo deck, it can go nuts really quickly.
1: It, it might be possible I think that, and you know this is a note maybe for uh, Magic R&D, but I think Treasures have been in general like, underrated. Oh, yeah. Treasures are crazy. Treasures are good. way better than we maybe thought they were a couple of years ago. They're, uh, they might be a little too good as far as like it allows you to sort of bank your mana.
2: Compare how good it is to, to food and all the other tokens you can make. Treasures are just includes. Treasures are by far the best.
1: Yeah. Just the ability to like save up a few and then play a nine drop on turn five or something yeah. is way more powerful than I think the treasures read as when you just look at cards. Yeah. Um, Turgrid, God of Fright, Let us not forget, Mono mm-hmm. Black. Uh probably the one card I would make the case for this year that is Bad. Uh, I hate saying the word bad design. Sorry, sorry to everybody at Watsy. It's just a mistake. I mean, as far as like, yeah. it's you guys are good at your jobs. I, I don't mean that. It's just like I think that card is unfun. It creates a, ba- uh, a bad play experience, and you know I wish it didn't exist. Burgrid, Tiny Bones. Stop naming commanders
2: with the letter T. <laughs>
1: done. Wait, no more we Thrasios or Timna. That, uh, that's actually wait, not the worst. Away, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, next up we got Volo Guide to Monsters. This deck is just one of those ones that you board wipe it and it comes r- screaming back at you with a whole board state uh it's green blue as well so obviously it does that very well gronok the Omnivore, another blue green commander
1: very combo-y yep. already a cdh deck um one of those tosses oracle decks yep yep toxril the corrosive blue black shrink everything <laughs> another t uh on a black <gasps> commander which i wouldn't toxril is obviously uh, an expensive cmc mana value card so i think it doesn't live in the same world as turgrid but it does tend to make for games where like hey listen everybody you're not gonna have any creatures this whole game yeah yeah
2: wow my t theory is going off yeah
1: (laughs) and then finally we have prosper Tomebound, the best
2: red black commander maybe ever printed watching becca play that on game nights what it just blew my mind how much value she was creating off of that card
1: Yeah, fun card. Rakdos has really gotten to do some fun stuff this year. I will say our list here, Belladros, the monocolored stuff, Volo, Grolnok, Toxro, Prosper. There's a lot of powerful stuff. Yeah. But nothing that feels like incredibly broken or that they'll yeah. need to ban or something i mean Turgor's the only one i think that you can make a case for as far as it being unfun and haven't played but, against it yet thank goodness i feel like the community has self-selected away from it the same way that like derevian stacks kind of you know not that you never run into it but people kind of let yeah, you know right, like right. Hey, i'm playing a, a stack deck. is that cool and you know then if somebody says hey i'm playing a turgor deck you go hold on i'm gonna just switch decks it's fine but i have to play something powerful against that yeah to not lose instantly to it or just not have a horrible time yeah yeah exactly
2: all right um Let's talk about one of our favorite new additions to this year in review. Cards we were most wrong about this year... Uh, so obviously we evaluate a lot of the cards. We're not going to get all of them right. Some of them we're going to get a little further than right. So let's talk about the ones that we didn't quite hit the mark on or they surprised us or maybe we didn't even evaluate them to be as strong as they we thought they were.
1: Remember, when we're doing our set reviews, we are doing it long before the cards have come out. So nobody really knows, right? It's all yeah. predictive. It's all like just reading card and then predicting how good it's going to be. And there are a lot of times when cards come out and you see it in play and it kind of plays differently than, you know, how you read it. And you're so, like, well, wow, so good. Or wow, so not as good as I yeah, thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My first one is Doomscar, which is three white white for a sorcery. It says destroy all creatures, but it has foretell for one white white. So you can play it uh, for its foretell cost for two, face down, and then you can cast it on a later turn for its foretell cost. And uh, we were pretty high on this in the um, I set review. Because in general, one of the downsides of board wipes is that... Um, you cast the board wipe, but it costs a lot of mana, and then you don't have enough mana left over to repopulate your board, where then it goes does, to yeah. Yeah, the next player's turn, and they got full mana, and so they're sort of repopulating first, so you board wiped, but you then end up as if you were the last player in turn order at the end of that, mm-hmm. um, and we liked the foretell cost because it's three, made it closer to Toxic Deluge, it felt like. And, you know, we were predicting that that wouldn't be better than like Wrath of God or something like that. And what I have found is that, and maybe we didn't realize this at the time, but you can't foretell and then unforetell it on the same turn. You have to do it on a later turn. Yeah. Which ends up being kind of a big deal because if you top deck it or you go um, tutor for it, which is often a thing you want to do for board wipes. Because often you'll be in a situation where like, hey, the board wipe is the answer to my problems because one player is out of control or I'm far behind or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the fact that I can't Demonic Dude for this and play it makes it quite a bit worse. Or if I top deck it, that makes it. I can, but I have to pay five. Right. In which case, I'd rather have a Wrath of God or something. And then also, there just aren't enough foretell cards that people don't know or can't predict what's going on. There's basically this, Mystic Reflection, and then uh, Cosmic Intervention. And those yeah, yeah. are the three cards that everybody guesses. So they just look at you and they go, well... That's probably the board wipe one or maybe it's Cosmic (laughs) Intervention, but either one that it is, I can sort of play around the board wipe part. And I've done this to other people when they foretold this card where I've been like, it's probably Doomscar. Yeah. I won't commit that much now. And I'll just hit you until you tell me what that thing is. <laughs> and it becomes like more closer to an Avenirals disc. So I just haven't yeah. been impressed with this card. And I started taking it out of my deck.
2: Yeah, I've only put it in maybe one. And that's just a deck that just needed more board wipes. But yeah, if you don't draw it early and you can't foretell it when you have that extra mana, it just sort of becomes a, th- a five mana board wipe. And there are plenty of those around that you can hold up without needing to foretell and tell everyone that you're foretelling it. Next up, we have Endurance, a card that
1: uh, is on the other side. Uh, it's not that we thought it was too good. It's that we didn't think it was good enough. Yeah, I wasn't actually part of the Modern Horizons two um, set review. So, what did you and DJ? I think it was you and DJ, right? Yeah, I think uh, you know, I think both of us said this is good for hosing. Like it, we felt it was niche, or
2: at least I felt it was more niche. When someone's trying to do something with their graveyard, bam, you can endurance them. It's going to come in the battlefield at flash speed, and you're going to make them all p- put their all their cards on the Battle battlefield in a random order. This card actually, I think. There are so many more graveyard synergies that exist these days that I think this is just straight up a very good answer because you can cast it for, again, zero mana. All of this entire evoke cycle from Modern Horizons 2, they're all decent in their own ways, but evoke, evoking an endurance can just end someone's game, <laughs> especially if their entire strategy revolves around the graveyard. But there are so many decks that just will constantly be putting tons of value in their graveyard, and I think this just hoses a lot of
1: people. Yeah, if I had been part of the Modern Horizons 2 review, I don't think I would have rated this card very highly. Um, yeah, it feels just like, oh, it's an answer for a thing that might happen. Yeah, it's fi- it seems fine. Turns the- out
2: that thing can happen pretty much in every single game of Commander
1: yeah i've started putting into most decks the fact that it's free is huge they will not see it coming they'll go for their living death or whatever it is they'll go for their um even rise. just a regrowth type effect yeah the reanimate and eternal here's the thing. witness
2: or this is one green green at flash you can still play this without needing to evoke it out for free
1: yeah so. you just can if it's going to be catastrophic if they're like uh ah, reanimate one creature and you're like eh, it's fine yeah, yeah i yeah. don't want to lose the card advantage then that's fine and the, but if they do something nuts where it's like diluvian primordial or sepulchral primordial or something you go okay no screw that yeah Let, gotta stop let's get thing. rid of the, the the one big graveyard that's you know got the best thing in it or whatever so yeah, yeah. I've found endurance to be very good I've started pointing in a lot of decks um, let's talk about one of yours here Jimmy yeah sure uh, you put oversimplify on your list.
2: Yeah, so I was ab- originally very upset about this card existing. It's three green and the blue, and it exiles all creatures, and every player p- creates a zero zero green and blue fractal creature token with a number of 1-1 one, one counters on it equal to the number of creatures that they control that were exiled this way. So if I had five creatures, they all go away, and I make a 5-5. Five, five. If Josh has two, he makes a 2-2. Two, two. Um, I was like, green-blue doesn't need this effect, um, but I think I was just overrating the fact that board wipes exist everywhere, and an exile board wipe is bad for a lot of decks, but it's also not an insane thing it's powerful. Don't get me wrong, right? Like, exiling creatures is one of the best ways to get rid of constant per- threats, and and we just talked about how endurance is good because you can stop things from being in graveyards, which exiling does. So, it to me, I think I just overrated how powerful it would be. I haven't really seen it played that much. Green and blue, they can just, I think it's almost better for them to cyclonic rift than to cast the sorcery well, it certainly speed, is. <laughs> five mana spell that exiles everything. So, to me, I think I just overrated how powerful this was because I was afraid of green
1: and blue getting too many toys. But turns out, they have enough. Already, I think also, and this might be a something we need to recalibrate for our evaluation. Let me know what you think here. Board wipes have become less important in as the format has gotten faster. Yeah, well, creature board wipes especially,
2: because sometimes it's like a great hinge on turn three that's going to kill you.
1: And I just think the format is fast enough now that it is difficult to like get to the point where a board wipe is really a good play for you because a lot of times you're going to board wipe, they're going to repopulate because the CMCs of everything are lower. Yeah. And you're just in danger earlier. You need to, you can't be holding like six CMC board wipes in your hand um, that maybe don't, like you said, don't even hit the important thing. So... It just feels like Doomscar and uh, Oversimplify are both board wipes that we put we've sort of thought highly of. And I just think the bar for our board wipe to clear is just higher than it was before. That yep. It needs to be yep, better than once. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. My last card that I misevaluated, I'm going to say, is Cunning Rhetoric. This is two and a black for an enchantment. It says, whenever an opponent attacks you and or... Uh, one or more Planeswalkers you control. Exile the top card of that player's library. You may play that card for as long as it remains exiled, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast it. I, I believe, and I, I remember us being, you know... Not so hot. No, liking this card and thinking that it was decent and it was going to be similar to a Propaganda or something. Oh, right, right, right. Um, and I've seen it play a few times now, and I have not liked it any of the times I've seen it play. <laughs> It will often make it so that you don't get attacked once or twice, but the problem is that propaganda magically stops them from attacking. Like, they cannot do it unless they, they have, have the, the mana. mana. Yeah. This one says, if you ha- if you can do it, and a lot of times they will choose to on the turn that they kill you.
2: hmm. Or do so much damage that that one card is not going to make a difference.
1: Yes, exactly. They're like, whatever, you can look at the top card of yeah. my library and maybe cast it, and I'll do 20 to you, or just kill you outright, and you never get the trigger, whereas Propaganda would have stopped that because they needed the mana to do it. I see. So I've just not been super impressed with it. You just basically never get any cards off of it unless they want you to, and if they want you to, that means they have a plan for it, and it's not great for you either. Yep. All right, the last card that I will talk about is Valky, God of Lies,
2: which is Tybalt, Cosmic Imposter on the other side. It's a one-in-the-black legendary creature, but it's actually a black-red uh, Planeswalker on the other side, so you can play as a black-red commander. I was like, this is so cool. I can't wait to play this because you can play it early. You can play it late, but here's the thing. You don't want to play it early if you want to play the other side, and you can't play the other side because it's seven mana, and black and red has had so many better things happen this year that why the heck would you want to play Valky as your commander when you could just play Prosper? Or You have to be like doing Florian. some weird cheaty thing with the mana costs on yeah, the side Yeah, and at something. that point, you're building in things to make this work that just make your deck actually worse. <laughs> so, I was originally really excited. I bought a couple copies
1: of it. I was like, can't wait to try this out. And I've just been sort of like, nah, why? No thanks. The take one card and it has to be a creature card is really yeah. hit and miss. You're really only playing Valkyrie because of the backside. Yeah. Because it's
2: cool, but it's also seven mana. And seven mana commander is, unless it's like Belladros, it's, it's hard to justify... A planeswalker that can just get swung at and killed the next turn.
1: All right, those were the cards we were most wrong about. That's us admitting we are not always right. (laughs) It It won't happen often. (laughs) (laughs) It happens quite, it happens plenty. Yeah,
2: yeah. Probably has happened on this episode a few times already. All
1: right, let's move to the next sort of big topic every single year, which is reprints. Um, You know, how many. Of the staples and the cards that we that already exist in the format, uh, how many new copies of that stuff did Wizards of the Coast put into the ecosystem in the year, and how does this year stack up as far as reprints? Note. We aren't going to count the Secret layer stuff as reprints here. Like yeah. like we said earlier, they generally tend to price them in a manner which I don't think is conducive to bringing down prices. So we're just going to talk about reprints that came within the nine sets that we talked about earlier. Yeah,
2: and we have a lot of these to cover, so let's get right into it. First off, we'll talk about Mystical Archive. Again, this came out with Strixhaven. So were these successful in bringing down the prices of cards Uh, And it is actually kind of like one of these, like eh, a little bit, but not super insane amounts because it wasn't in the main set again. So it didn't have the mass amount of printing that something like a Modern Horizons 2 did on Fetchlands because those were just opened everywhere. Yeah,
1: these were in a special slot in the pack and they had their own rarity and stuff. So generally like a really highly sought after card that gets reprinted at like Mythic Rare, that's not going to affect the price much because just not enough of them come into the market. And these are also in special frames and all that stuff. So that actually naturally actually
2: increases the price so it may not actually do a huge job reducing the price however there were some prices that did go down as a result of these cards coming out and maybe it's not directly tied to it but the effect overall it's still cheaper than it was before
1: i want to give a shout out to truck um who helped Woo-hoo! yeah who helped us with a lot of this data stuff for the reprints yeah um okay so the top four mystical archive cards that were reprinted were demonic tutor to protection natural order and time warp And Truck did an analysis which checked out all the prices before the reprint was announced Mm -hmm. and then checked the current price, the price as of today when we're recording, which is uh, December 21st. So, Demonic Tutor was $46 before the, the Mystical Archive reprint was announced, and today it is $36. Okay, that's $10. That's a 20% dis- decrease in price. Yep, 22% discre- yeah. decrease, yeah, yeah. Teferi's Protection,
2: now keep in mind this was also reprinted in the Secret Lair this year, was at 40 bucks, and then it dropped down to twenty eight fifty right now. And that's almost a 30% decrease in price. Pretty good. Natural Order. Uh, is $30, was was $30, and now it's $15, so that's almost 50% decrease, which is really good. And then Time Warp went from 14 bucks to 13 bucks, so almost negligible,
1: An basically. 8% decrease. Yeah. Interesting to see uh, that, and I'm not sure what conclusions to draw, but the fact that, like, different cards in the same set that were reprinted didn't drop by similar amounts is mm-hmm. kind of weird. It must be that the demand for Time Warp was much higher. Yeah. Even yeah, though it yeah. was a lower cost card. And
2: there aren't... I mean, honestly, Demonic Tutor is great, and there are lots of versions of cards that do Demonic Tutor-type things, which is why it's overall higher, but I think the the decrease in price makes sense. Time Warp, like, at 14 bucks, I think, is actually a fair price yeah. for a five mana take an extra turn spell because that is, again, the best rate you can get, It really, uh, without going super breaking the, the bank.
1: Yep. So that was Mystical Archives. Let's talk about... I wanted to take a quick... Uh, pause here and talk about each year, and we're going to do that this year, mm-hmm. too, we kind of say, well, what are the cards we want reprinted the most in the next year? Mm-hmm. So last year, at the end of 2020, we said, here's the list, Vidal Kunori, Wayfarer's Bobble, Cabal Coffers, Urborg, Parallel Lives, Edgar Markov, Mystic Ramora, Mirari's Wake, The Fetchlands, Anointed Procession, uh, all The Allied Color Talismans, Felwar Stone, Sensei's Divining Top, Smothering Tithe, Dockside Extortionist, Veil of Summer, Fierce Guardianship, Deflecting Swat, and Deadly Rollick. Now, those last three are really interesting because they came out yeah. during the year, but we were like, listen, you got to reprint these right away. Immediately, they're already yeah. really
2: expensive. Sorry, editors, by the way. Yeah, that's a lot of cards. This is, it's, that's not the last time that will happen.
1: <laughs> um, so those are the cards we asked for, and uh, now we're going to find out which of those cards that at the end of last year we deemed... To be the most important to be reprinted actually got reprinted within this calendar year and remember it's not like they could listen to us say that and then put those in this yeah it's the sets way were, too
2: early yeah they're, that, yeah
1: they're two years in advance so we're not saying like you didn't listen to us or anything of the sort just to see what if they're on the same wavelength as us or anything um so we're going to check out if they did reprint any of that stuff how much but before we get to that we got to take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsors
2: Okay, so we've covered a little bit of the reprints. Let's talk about the biggest reprints that Wizards actually gave us this year. So we had a a little bit of methodology going into this, the way that we classify the top reprints of the year. Uh, So these are cards that were worth over $10 before the reprint announcement. And then we looked at the cheapest near mint copy available two months before the reprint announcement. And then that same card now today, which was done yesterday, December 20th. So again, if a card is over $10, it counts as a card that is going to get top reprint. And then we looked at the cheapest near mint copy before the reprint and then the cheapest version of it now. So before and after, and then what the price originally was. So similar to what we just did for Mystical Archive, and again we are omitting cards like Secret Layers, the Retro Frame releases
1: uh, in Modern Horizons two, as well as um, uh, all those time has, tend to be yeah sort of looped in here as part of why the cost goes down. But yeah, really, what's the cheapest you could get a version that's playable of this card in near mint? Um, all right, Modern Horizons two. The enemy fetch lands were reprinted in this set, and Truck found that they went down. An average of forty four point eight six, so forty five percent. Wow, so almost a fifty percent decrease in price Fantastic, for the enemy fetchlands. Yep. So arid mesa went from thirty eight to twenty three. Misty rainforest eighty dollars to thirty six forty. Eighty dollars. Yeah. Marsh flats forty two to twenty three dollars. Verdant catacombs fifty four to thirty two. Scalding tarn eighty bucks to forty four fifty this is massive uh drops and we've seen this when fetchlands have been reprinted before and let mm-hmm. me just say like pick them up now while they're about as cheap as they're going to be because they, they reprint- they've actually been going up a little bit yeah they're they were going go up again a little bit yeah we've seen fetchlands like go up and so they're going to reprint them every few years but right after a reprint is the time they are going to be the least expensive and they're never going to just go down from here yeah their floor
2: by the way also slowly increases over time i believe as magic gets more and more popular so if you're playing now it's now a great time great christmas present Fireball.com slash command
1: but cutting <laughs> but cutting prices by 50 percent almost on on fetchlands. yes i mean kudos to wizards it helped a lot that modern
2: horizons 2 with collector boosters meant that a ton of different versions of these cards were going to be open there are different types of frames so that that creases different l- levels of rarity and that drops the
1: overall price as well for other cards i think this next one is actually the biggest change in price the biggest price decrease yeah, of the it's year nuts so and this, it was on our list of things we wanted reprinted.
2: Yeah, thank goodness. It's Cabal Coffers. This thing went from $103 to $25.90. That's almost 75% decrease. So, 74.85%. So, Cabal Coffers was a very old card. that hadn't seen reprints in a long, long time. Modern Horizon 2 was the right place to do it in. And you kind of see what decreases like this that yeah it's a great card but it was also artificially i think inflated because of its age and the lack of copies in the market not necessarily right it's still a very powerful was, card yeah but maybe a little bit of that price was added on because it just was a harder card to find overall
1: yeah i think you could say that the price the hundred dollar price tag was more because of a lack of supply than it was because of a great demand mm-hmm. yeah Uh, Another card that dropped a lot, Imperial Recruiter, went from uh, $30.40 to $7.90, so 74% decrease. Still 75%, but Cabal Conference was literally $75 cheaper. That's
2: two old Imperial Recruiters and, and some change. Two and a half. Alright, uh, now going to Time Spiral Remastered, lots of reprints here, and again, some big, big drops. Pact of Negation, one of the most powerful spells you can play in Magic. $35 down to 12 bucks. that's a 65.81% decrease.
1: Gemstone Caverns went from sixty dollars and sixty cents to thirty one sixty, so a forty eight percent decrease, just about. Not as
2: much of a commander card, but still very played. Uh, Damnation, a classic mono black
1: board wipe, went from forty one dollars down to thirty dollars, which is a twenty seven percent decrease. Yeah, I'm surprised by that one. I didn't. I don't play Damnation that much. I think Black yeah. has better stuff, so I would have thought that an increase in supply would have dropped that uh, price more. by a lot more. Yeah, especially because like Damn got printed too, but I guess
2: mono black and modern, I think, or other formats. That want mono black board wipes. Again, it's unique in that in that sense. So uh,
1: the next one is Chalice of the Void. Another more modern card than Commander. Forty two dollars down to seventy one seventy. So no, 70. down up to seventy. Oh shoot, this that is actually one that went up. Yeah,
2: this was a seventy percent increase. <laughs> what the heck? Yeah, I believe Chalice of the Void. It's just a, a very good card. I think more decks in Legacy format start playing it outside the Commander because oh, this wow. is not one you see necessarily in Commander very often either. You
1: don't see a lot of they reprinted that and then it went up. It almost doubled yeah, the price. Yeah, yeah.
2: So that, that means that some older
1: formats are just getting more popular. It wasn't because of Commander. Yeah. Or we don't play that card much. Stuff, yeah. All right, let's look at the Commander product from this year. And this is going to be all 15 of the Commander pre-cons. We're going to loop into one thing. <laughs> can't believe you just said that yeah. sentence. 15. <laughs> we're going to start off with two cards that were on our list that we wanted reprinted uh, this year. Felwar Stone. Which is not wasn't a super expensive card. It was about five dollars and eighty cents, six bucks or so mm-hmm. uh, before, and then now it's at about three seventy. So a thirty-six percent decrease. But Fellerstone is a very much a staple in the format, so it's nice to just even mm-hmm. a couple bucks there is nice for everybody out there because there's literally thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of decks that have it. Yeah, yeah, and it works in so many decks. Um, Wayfarer's
2: Bobble, a great card, uh, three dollars and forty cents down to two eighty. So not a huge decrease. I think it just still shows that this card is very played in a lot of decks. That's only about seventeen percent. There.
1: That's like what Soul Ring does, right? Gets yeah. reprinted and then stays at about the same price. Yep. Soul Ring's always going to be about that same price, maybe slightly increasing year after year, too. This shows how good Wayfarer's Bobble is. Uh, Hellkite Tyrant was $25 before the reprint in the Commander product, and now it's $7.60. So it went down 70%. Yeah,
2: I think it was because it was only printed in a couple of sets, or maybe even one. Yeah, so it was only printed in Commander 2016, the original Gate Crash, and then Commander 2021. So again, this is just not that many around and it dropped massively i think the price was artificially inflated there a little bit too because
1: not many decks actually need a hellcat tyrant yeah 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 yeah. a thousand year elixir one of my favorite cards untaps uh creatures was 25 bucks wow all the way to five dollars and 70 cents again feels
2: very similar to what happened which is it just was big for a wrong reason or it just wasn't around enough but man that that dropped a bunch yep and then kindred summons was only printed in one of the commander products in 2017 and got back in Forgotten Realms from thirty-two dollars all the way down to four, so that's an eighty-seven percent increase. This happens De- a decrease. lot. Decrease, sorry. This happens a lot for commander-specific cards like Dockside Extortionist. Is just you only see it one time in commander product, and those are not opened. I think nearly as much as like a Modern Horizons or a standard set, because you just get one per thing. You might open the booster box and get two of them or three of them, you know, depending. So,
1: although Dockside specifically, I think goes in so many decks that they could reprint it in yeah, a standard yeah, set, yeah. and it would still be very expensive. Yeah, exactly. Unless they were at uh, common or something. Uh, speaking of standard set. The standard set reprints this year were pretty abysmal. We mm-hmm. looked through all of them. It used to be like you'd get an idyllic tutor or, or something here and oh, there. Yeah. This or year. This year, there was only one reprint from a standard set that was worth even talking about that was $10 or more. It was Thalia, Guardian of Thraben, which was in Crimson Vow, and that went from $10 to $8. dollars Woohoo! A 20% decrease. And it's not even played very much in Commander unless you're stacking it up. This was a bad year for reprints in standard legal sets, and I don't know why. You have all those slots, and they don't, you don't need all new cards. Yeah. Like they used to throw us some reprints in there and it's why aren't we getting those? We should get those. We had those. Graham Tudor in a, in a core set. Yeah. So yeah. And we had
2: Ugins and all that sort of stuff too. So there are ways for them to do it. I think, I don't know. We'll see what happens next year, I guess. And see if this is a trend that where they try to fit it more into the commander product and less in the standard ones. Who knows?
1: In a lot of cases, I would like to see them do like the smothering ties and the modern commander staples yeah. um, as reprints in, in standard legal sets because they won't break them. They've already come from there for a lot yeah. of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is just a way to get those back into the market because smothering ties really shouldn't be the price that it is. Right. That's no. not. Yeah. Speaking of which, let's, talk about our list oh i want to go back to the list sorry of, of uh cards we asked for oh left. that's right right I here throw it
2: so we asked for a bunch of cards and the cards that actually got reprinted on that list are five one of them is fetch land so that counts as more than five but we count that sort of as a category
1: yeah we got wayfarer's Bauble, cabal coffers mirari's wake Fellwar stone and Fetchlands. remember that huge thing you looked at that had all those cards on it that the editors had to work so hard earlier Exeter. only five of them got reprinted so that feels like a whiff to me yeah maybe the editors shouldn't have done all that work <laughs> but now they won't know because it's later no, in the, the audience appreciates yeah, it yeah there
2: you, you go yeah, give yeah, the yeah. editors some love in the, the editors please. are now coming to our houses with <laughs> eggs
1: <laughs> okay let's talk about the highly needed reprints in 2022 so we're gonna make a similar list now for the cards we think are the most needed reprints in the format for this upcoming year and some of the cards are the same but some are different okay dark side extortionist. We have to.
2: why why <laughs> why you're giving you're throwing white all types of bones red obviously is in a better place than ever has before this is such an easy card to reprint i think it's it's oh, just do it it's
1: it's, $75. it's freaking 75 dollars because it's only been
2: in one commander product that is like two pre-cons you can yeah. buy two pre-cons for and the this price of goes one, in Dockside. every red deck
1: and you can we can him and haw and i think there's a lot of people out there they're like it's you know, borderline too good, broken. Listen, if they're going to ban it, that's fine. I don't think they are, but if they are, that's that's a different thing. But if it's legal in the format, yeah, then people are going to play it, and we need this card to not cost seventy five dollars. Like it's crazy. Yeah, it's not an old card. It's not on the reserve list. Like it. It and people have been asking for this reprint for years now. Where mm-hmm. is it? We yeah we deserve it this needs to come back
2: yep uh this is a newer card the next one but josh and i are both very high on this card and it does work every single time it comes out down the field it's jessica's will this should definitely get reprinted it was only in the commander legends product i could see this as being like once a year type of thing coming out um and it's okay because the original version had foil borderless versions people that collect it can have that just give me a regular one
1: please because it's $25 now and we're a year out from Commander Legends which a lot of it was opened so this card is going to be $40 or $50 before we can blink and then it's going to be like Dockside Extortionist all over because once a card gets super uh, expensive it is difficult for them to reprint it because it warps whatever like if you put it in one Commander deck it all of a sudden everybody buys only that one so yeah. yeah. yeah yeah Um, Smothering Tithe we just talked about it. $40 now this Jeez. was a standard legal card it did not break standard in any way it could easily appear in a standard set mm-hmm. just dedicate one rare slot to Smothering Tithe in a standard legal set everyone will be happy and the card will be you know maybe 15 17 dollars for a little while yeah don't dedicate a
2: slot though to ristic study because that might break standard i think <laughs> uh but that card's at 35 bucks this is again it's just one of those must-haves and it's obviously annoying to play against same with smothering tide but it's at 35 dollars now they just kind of reprinted it with the arcane circular but that's not that's
1: gonna different. be enough well not it, gonna they, be enough they cheated they did a rep- reprint in quotes for a jump start right also you know that's not in high enough numbers yeah so it has to go in like a modern horizon style set it needs to go in like a commander deck or maybe a couple to really bring the price down
2: yeah or even just putting more versions of it in the secret uh not secret layer, the uh the, the mystery booster type thing there you go because they can just increase right the slots that these go into and maybe say like hey you know what let's put smothering tide all these things in there so when people go to conventions and open these packs they're going to have a higher chance of
1: opening them uh, Necropotence has gotten very, very high. It's about 40 bucks now. This, this card a- used to be like $5. Yeah. <laughs> so we just need to reprint it because, again, that's going to creep up there towards the $70 range and just be unobtainable for most people and it's kind of a black staple yep guardian project
2: is one of green's many ways to draw uh, cards per creature 17 dollars. so this card i think is it's great it's very balanced i think it's totally fine where it's at we have all sorts of other versions of this but guardian project is very good for commander specifically and again this is perfectly fine in the standard legal
1: set it was in standard not very long ago didn't break anything put it back in standard just keep that price low because one of the things you want to look at is cards around this range that are going to be double this and unobtainable very soon yeah 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 the next one sort of feast and famine we've been talking about this one for years again uh this is a staple can go on most commander decks it's 60 dollars now yeah 60 bucks is too much let people get a hold of this thing just just reprint it in a in a a modern horizon
2: yeah or or i won't fill my car up with gas one time what
1: wow 60 dollars worth of gas in your car yeah california
2: California, everybody. California's pretty tough, yeah. yeah. My car also says 13 gallons okay. that I can fill up, yeah. so it gets up there. Uh, Vidalcan Orrery. This one's simple. You can put this in standard without even laughing, Just chuckling, smiling, frowning. Just do it. I don't know. I'm it's
1: out. $30. It's my favorite card, so it should, should be more like a hundred, right, Josh? <laughs> the card is not good enough to be thirty dollars, <laughs> by yeah. the way. So that's just don't say that too that's loudly. The evangelists bonus.
2: will be knocking on your door. <laughs> um, the next up are the Triums, the Ketria and Dotha, all of them from uh, uh, from Icoria. These cards are just so good. They have the land types. They can you can cycle them. They tap for three different colors of mana. They're all above $10 now, and those prices are only going to go up because they, again, only showed up in that set. I think if you're doing a three-color Commander set, these are just the easiest. Chuck them in there, add some EV.
1: And one of the worst things things people complain about for Commander is building the mana base because dual lands are legal, and it feels bad to a lot of people that some people can have dual lands. So the last thing we want to do is make the other lands like shock lands right. triumphs that kind of stuff hard for those people to get because and
2: they've done a good they've done a great job of shock lands so yeah. I, I think they could do the same with the triomes.
1: yeah make the yeah just make the triomes obtainable keep them around you know we can get them to five bucks and just get them to live there right like yeah yeah yeah, yeah there's no reason those need to be you already yeah they don't need to be like shock lands where sometimes they're 25 yeah speaking of lands the battle bond lands Woo. And the original lands from Battle Bonds, like Luxury Suite and Morphic Pool, are over twenty dollars now. Jeez! And then they did the other half of the Cycle and Commander Legends, and those are already over five bucks. So those are going to be ten, fifteen, twenty by end of next year, and the OG ones from Battle Bond will be thirty. Yeah. So again, this is the same thing as the Triumphs. Just don't let them get that high. Because then it becomes tough to reprint them, and they, they sort of reach a different status, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where it's like, hey, if it's just like a regular try land or a bunch of these other lands we reprint all the time, then they obtain the status of like they're going to be around. People don't need to hoard them or try and sell
2: them or uptick their price, similar to sort of like those one print off from commander products like kindred summons, right? People aren't going to be like, cool, now time to price gouge because who knows when they're going to reprint them? You know, if they know, oh, these are coming at least once every year, year and a half, okay, they're going to we'll just price, price
1: them at three, four dollars and sell them like they were the half yeah. lands. Or The exact
2: same argument can be made for the medallion cycle. All of these are now creeping over $10. They were originally printed in some banner products. These are just great. They just help mono two color decks
1: a ton by reducing mana costs. They're cheap, they're basically a two mana rock in a lot of ways. This is stuff that's existed for a while. It just helps smooth out the game for players. Yeah. So it's not like creating more powerful decks in any way or anything like that as far as like speeding up the game. Um, so it's not like creating arcane signets or anything. Just like let people have lands that will let them easily cast their spells yeah. and make that part of the game cheap. Uh, I think that will just be a boon to all commander players. Yep. All right. Okay, those are reprints. By the way, almost all of them had to do with mana or card draw. Yeah, there's a few like... <laughs> There's the, da- well, Dax Side makes mana. Mana. Smothering mana, yeah. Desk as well as mana and card draw. Yeah, okay. that's a good point. <laughs> so. Okay, uh, let's move on here. Well, let's talk about the rule changes that happened this year, which were basically bans and unbannings. Mm-hmm. Not a, well, not Pretty- a lot, I would say, but actually a lot, because most years don't have um, multiple cards on the ban, unban list, and this year did. We had two rounds of bannings, which is also kind of rare for a year. So, um, Hole Breacher got the axe. Yep. Uh, Null no Breacher. Null no Breacher. Breached. And then later in the year, a little, not that long later, uh, they decided to get rid of Golos, and then they brought back World Fire. So, Nolos, but yes to World Fire nolos and nolbreacher Breacher. and then yes fire yes fire. i don't know This is like yesper yes probably play worldfire yes would definitely oh, uh, play worldfire
2: yeah if it helped him win the game he's there um okay so it's been a few months now we've been able to really think about these bands a little more and maybe see it in action me oh i'm sure a lot of you back uh playing wherever you are will have seen or felt the golos band specifically that seems like the one that affected the most people um I haven't really changed my opinion on any of this,
1: Well, yeah, except f- I don't care about Golos. At, at first, I was like, oh, Golos is fine, but now I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, Whole Breacher, we were on the same page. We both were like, fine, ban it. Yeah. Didn't love it. I was generally like, I thought it would be okay to keep it in the format, but it they banned it, and I wasn't like, that's crazy. It's yeah. like, yeah, I think that's fine to ban it. Golos, I hated that ban. I don't, I, well. Do you I still stil- not like it? Yeah, I still think it was. I just do not think Golo should have been banned. It was the most popular commander. We laid out a whole video, so I won't go into it here, but having chewed on it for a couple of months now, still think it was a bad idea to ban <laughs> that card. I, I, think I have I, no change of opinion. For
2: me, I've just seen more and more comments of people being like, yeah, I had to get rid of Golos, but it made me do something a little more interesting instead. So I've seen enough of that comment for me to go, okay, maybe the players themselves don't mind as much. And if they're personally finding a better expansion of their sort of like
1: playability as a result, then I'm fine with it. But but still... But I think anything you ban, they would true they would true, say true. that right like because they're forced to and then they would be like oh so i did this instead and a few months down the line they're gonna their life's gonna continue because it's a game and yeah not, you know what i mean yeah world fire unban what do you think about that uh haven't seen it played against me don't look forward to seeing it played against me but when it does
2: it's gonna be no different than someone comboing out in turn three or four or just and casting expropriate just right? Casting like, expropriate. Yeah, I, like
1: so. I will lose <laughs> yeah i will lose
2: hopefully you know how to win the game past this point because this world fire it's the whole world's getting burned up <laughs> and i'm personally a fan of fire and burning things so i guess that's fine
1: <laughs> all right, let's talk about something interesting we haven't done in past uh, episodes like this. But the biggest controversies of the year, you know, magic. Is yeah, wait, all, wait. A what if we based a whole video off of just kind con- of just kidding? <laughs> <laughs> magic yeah. is always embroiled in some kind of controversy, especially if you're on like social media of any kind. It yeah. seems like like every couple of days there's like a new controversy. Um, So we're going to talk about what the biggest controversies of the year were. The Golos banning, I would say, is definitely one of them, but we just talked about it, so there's not a lot to go into. A lot of decks got affected by it.
2: Obviously, players were upset, um, especially the monocolor players. They're like, Golos is better than any commander I could put in the slot.
1: Which I don't think is true, but okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Golos was a whole thing and a lot of contention and a lot of controversy on on Twitter and everywhere else. Fine, fine, fine. The next one was something that um, was earlier in the year. And I don't know that we ever really dwelled on it, Jimmy. But the set boosters um, containing exclusive commander cards is something that I believe had happened once or twice last year. But really this year happened... they start doing for every uh standard legal set
2: yeah i think they want just to sell more set boosters as opposed to draft and the other types um now don't forget you can still get these commander cards other places right it's not just in those set boosters i thought you were able to get some of them in other places
1: uh, Either way. I think they're only in the set boosters, but I could be wrong. I don't know where else you would get them. They're not in the commander products, and they're not in the main set. So yeah. what is the other alternative there? Ah, uh, Channelfireball.com slash command. <laughs> uh,
2: I don't think this had a massive effect on the prices of anything. I didn't see anyone being like, because it's only available in set boosters, you're never going to be able to get this. It's a billion dollars. right? So I think that was the main thing I was on the lookout for. If it was like all of a sudden, hey, look, these five exclusive set booster cards are literally so much more expensive just because of that, that would have been a problem. But I think enough people opened the set booster that these were able to circulate into the environment.
1: It is, I think, my main objection to it is just sort of similar to our early discussion in that it causes them to have to create more Commander-specific cards. Yeah. They got to make seven or eight of these every single set in addition to the, the Commander products, yeah. plus whatever they're designed for the set. It's like all of a sudden, it's, it's just a lot of stuff that's for Commander that I feel like is generally speeding up the format mm-hmm. in a way that mm-hmm. is hurts its longevity, Um, but specifically the fact that there are commander cards inside of the set boosters I don't think is the biggest of problems. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's just indicative of sort of a larger issue, I think. Yep. Okay, the next... controversy of the year and this would be easy to forget it doesn't have to do with commander but it's sort of interesting to talk about which was the ending of the mpl magic pro leagues so they announced that this season the 2021 and 2022 season was going to be the last season of the mpl now they announced that early on in 2021 and i believe the reason was because if you are in the mpl it's kind of like your job and your future that you know, you're planning around. And so they wanted to give, I think they came from the right place. If they wanted to give those people the largest amount of warning possible of what was happening, even though they don't really have an answer to what comes next, but at least they weren't like, who see a bye. Yeah. Wasn't there that CEO that's been all over, like, you know, the news for, like, firing 900 people over Skype or whatever. Oh, (laughs) yeah, You you don't want to be that person, right? You don't want to be just a jerk. Like, you come out and you fire a bunch of people and you say, you know, you're fired today or... Sorry, bye, pack your things up, yeah. Yeah, so I think Wizard's Heart was in the right place as far as just, like, listen, we know we have to make this move. Let's make it in a way that gives the softest landing possible to the people involved with it. Yeah. I think looking a little bigger picture, though, Magic Pro League, Magic Pro Stuff...
2: Just doesn't capture the right amount of attention that I think it makes it viable as a business.
1: Yeah, and I wonder if that is specifically the way that the MPL was set up mm-hmm. because Pro Magic has been a thing for a very long time. Do you think that? there is some version of pro magic that could be successful or are we just like, is is it just something that's
2: maybe, but I still think, right? Like if you look at the actual numbers and this is just being truthful about it, look on Twitch, look on YouTube, look at the numbers that, right. The numbers that they get streaming wise, attention wise are not, Impressive, And they're also not enough to, I think, move the, the chains when it comes to competing against the other very major properties that dominate that space. And so you're putting a lot of money into these different efforts to sort of grow this scene. And if the scene and if the, and if the literal viewer base is going, we don't really care. We'd rather watch this. We'd rather watch someone just play draft and not be a pro, then you're going to lose the effects of why you have the impale in the first place. So you're trying to like push a norm of competition or a norm of competitiveness that people don't care about. And that is not a viable thing for any company to do.
1: Yeah. I think there, are It's unclear to me if Pro Magic can work. I think it probably, there's some setup or structure where maybe it could. This clearly wasn't it, and I think they made a lot of mistakes. Obviously, the MPL itself, like how you get in and how the point systems work and everything was like confusing as heck. Yeah. For Magic players, even like, I don't know how you even get into it, (laughs) you know. And then also, they were doing weird things like a new set would come out, and they would have a tournament that didn't include those cards from the new set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That just seems insane and crazy of a decision to make and just indicative of like bad um, planning or bad strategizing of as far as what the MPL is supposed to do and accomplish because we've seen other players. And I think, um, Jeff Hoogland and some other people like run their own tournaments. that get a lot more views mm-hmm. than what the MPL would get. So tournament magic and arena is very, very popular. So you would think there's an audience there for players that are like, you know, want to watch the best of the best and, and, basically net deck their stuff or learn what what they're doing and try to do it to win more so i feel like there is some sort of combination that could work but the MPL just wasn't it it's really tough too
2: you're you're, they're competing in the market that you know unless your team that's making it is incredibly good at what they're doing you're gonna you're gonna face a lot of hurdles and a lot of complications trying to beat out the other players in the field in terms of showing hey this is a high level of a game yeah because again the streaming and the creator yeah and the creator economy has completely sort of thrown a lot of this stuff on its head because people just sometimes just want to watch the offline tv tournament for valorant that features players that are not pros at all but they like them as personalities so that's why i think those Chef hooglin type tournaments can do better and maybe a better indicator of what the future looks like on that level of gameplay because mm. you can still give prize money to these people and you can still have some great players but you can also have underdogs that people just love to watch on stream and that may generate better numbers better engagement because people aren't necessarily going to watch Magic because they want to see the highest level of gameplay. And I think Commander being really popular also harkens to that fact that people just like the game and what it elicits, not necessarily the the pros of the pros
1: doing the best at it. But Jimmy, we are the pros of the pros and the best Magic players that have ever existed, right? That's right. right. It's kind of crazy being at the top, (laughs) Josh. It's uh,
2: real cold up here, looking down on all those
1: small ant-like people below us. We are so... I've played (laughs) with Brian Kibler and, you know, the the very high level. Real pro players, yeah. Real pro players. so bad at magic compared to them, with Melissa DeTora. and Ben. Dude, Scharger I make
2: mistakes on camera in front of millions of people every single episode. So <laughs> I'm one to talk.
1: All right, uh, the next big controversy of the year was the secret layer, strangers Thing, Stranger Things. And I don't think maybe Stranger Things. By itself, but just the idea of universes beyond an outside IP sort of being brought into Magic as brand new cards and not just reskins. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, there's a very vocal
2: group of people that don't like it, that's for sure. Uh, a lot of discussion online in general about it, but also uh, the same thing happens every single time where the discussion sort of gets like, ah when you see a lot of people that are like hey i never knew about magic but now i do and i want to talk about it now and that happened a ton with Dungeons and dragons a little bit less so i think with stranger things and less so with walking dead we don't have the stranger Things cards yet too yeah and we don't know how they play out i'm personally am mixed because i thought that the art could have been a little better i thought the flavor on 11 could have been better Um, But I do also love the idea of the self-contained partner pairings within them. I think that's going to create for a lot of interesting deck types. And when the game comes down to being about personal expression and people are already painting whatever they want on the cards, uh, I'm kind of fine with things that expand the play ability of Commander without breaking it. Like, if the Stranger Things cards were just not so powerful, then no one would like it. But the fact that they're not in that range, I'm feeling okay
1: about it. I kind of feel like how I feel about, like, spice on food. Mm. which is like a lot of times you get a dish and it needs a little salt or it needs a little something. Sriracha. Yeah. Okay. A little sriracha. That's a good one. There you go. And then you put the sriracha in and it's, it's more to your taste and you like it. My problem is that I think wizards often says, oh, you like that? Then have all of that that you could ever hope for. Let's just do this, <laughs> that every day. And then <laughs> that's my worry, right? Because it feels like they were like, oh, you like full art lands? Let's do full art lands in every set. Oh, Players you like, like master- this? Yeah. yeah. You like masterpieces and uh, invocations or what do they call them? Uh, expeditions? Expedition, Let's yeah. do that in every set. You know, this is just like their MO. And that's what scares me because I think it's actually Stranger Things. Walking Dead, we didn't like for a number of reasons. Didn't have to do necessarily with the Universe of Beyond thing. I think mm-hmm. D&D was a success. And I just hope they use it sparingly, use it like salt or sriracha. Uh, You still want the main dish to be what it is you're enjoying about the food. Good point. It's not, yeah, it's not like a tapas place. (laughs) Yeah, because it does spoil the food if you put too much salt in it, even though it can also make the food better if you put a little bit of salt in it. Yeah. So that's kind of how I think. Also on the tapas thing, it's not like you're going to get like a
2: normal salty dish and then like ice cream. Yeah. Right, or something from a completely different region of the world. You're getting it from one specific region, so it's you can't fusion ha everything so much. I like that. So too. I do like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, keep in mind, we do have Street Fighter and Fortnite Street, secret layers coming
1: up. Forty K. Forty K. Baldur's Gate. Uh, Those Lord of the feel Rings. more in the world. Stranger Things and Walking Dead feel more in Fortnite. <laughs> Godzilla is really in the middle, right? So, yeah. Yeah. We'll see what happens. So,
2: but I think the main thing is that these are not full sets when they go into the the, the, the like it's like two steps out of the circle into. Fortnite into these worlds they're only taking like they're doing a splash of stuff so i think that is the saving grace of all of this a little bit of salt just a, a pinch. pinch of salt yeah, yeah there you go
1: uh there's another secret layer thing and i don't know if this is a controversy but we never talked about it and it's interesting have you seen this yeah the ultra rare upside down backwards back backwards yeah viscerous here viscera seer so there's these viscera seers and i think only a few of them have turned 100 up.
2: 100 total i believe
1: we think because it does, they're numbered right we don't really know that they're all like it says like three of 100 or 77 of 100 or whatever we'll show some pictures of it they've come in some secret layers like you can just randomly get them i guess i think they're in the Frexian one specifically and it's just all the writing on viscera seer. actually the whole card is just backwards right yeah, like they, the, like you're looking at it in a mirror. Actually, I think if you put it up to a mirror, it would read uh, streets uh, regularly. So we don't know what this is. They're probably, Wizards is very clever, so my guess is they're like hinting at something mm-hmm. that's happening. But also these, if there's only 100 of these cards that have ever been made, which is what they think now because of the way they're numbered, they're very, very rare. Yeah, less than a lot of really rare cards,
2: right? There are more Black Lotuses in the world than Way these. more, yeah. yeah.
1: So I don't know if this is a controversy. Again, we don't know much about it, but it's an interesting thing that is happening. Yep, and we see that also happening with
2: Kamigawa where they're adding the the hollow foil extra. Yeah, the Hidetsugu extra rare versions of it, similar to like what baseball and basketball cards do. Yeah, the Neon Ink. Yeah, Neon Ink, there it is. So we are seeing a push towards like, I would call it hyper rarity, beyond mythic rare or like. Beyond Masterpiece even. Yeah, yeah. Masterpiece, yeah. Uh, And I don't really know the economics well enough to know if this is a good or a bad thing. I know it's great for collectors. Uh, I also know that when I saw that card as someone that is a collector myself, I went, I don't care, I don't need it. Which is a good thing.
1: Yeah. Because, that means you've come to a healthy place in your life. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> Hopefully. Jeez, don't look at my collection anytime soon. Um, yeah, but I was like, okay, this is cool. I see what they're going at, but this doesn't make me go like, oh, I have to have it so badly if I don't, blah, blah, blah. You know? So there was a, an element to that where I was glad that it wasn't so special. It was an older card. It was one that you know we have a lot of, and it's not super rare in and it by, it by itself, but the version of it is. So I was like, eh, I'm okay with it.
1: All right. And we've got one more major controversy of the year. And it's been all the talk the last few weeks on Magic Twitter and social media, which is the MTG alchemy format in Arena. Yeah. So they've done this new thing where they're going to want to, they're going to be able to um, sort of digitally change cards, errata them basically mm-hmm. in Arena uh, for an alchemy format. Uh, however,. I don't know why they did this, but they also decided that those alchemy cards, those change cards, would affect historic. Yeah, I don't know why. Uh, so there's been a lot. There's there's sort of two major things that the community is upset about. One is just the fact that they are making cards that will be different digitally on Arena than will exist in paper. Yeah, that that has been a thing, and that has already occurred. There were cards that existed in Arena that just don't exist in paper, and now there's going to be a you know somebody might play Flags. an ink shield and it does something different on Arena than, like, they it, it uh, let's say they decide Ink Shield is too powerful, and on Arena they change it so that it makes a 2-1 flyer for each creature, creature attacking, attacking you. Yeah. Then that's very different than what it does if I play it in a game of Commander. So there's some people that don't like that, uh, think there'll be some confusion there. I'm not sure that is true, but... Um, that's a it's a valid point to me we'll see arguing. magic is evolving that's yeah. all i'll say and then and... The, the other thing is the fact that they didn't re- they're not giving you wild cards or there's no dust system like hearthstone so now they're changing cards yeah for historic decks that were built and that feels like a more valid criticism to me where it's like hey i, I bought a product i paid a certain amount of money it's for different. a product and you're changing the product and not offering me any sort of rebate or refund yeah which does not feel fair
2: doesn't really affect commander players too much i will say that arena is their testing ground for a lot of things and so you'll see the most innovation slash change happen there and i would say hold on to your butts because who knows what's going to happen next
1: yeah, so an interesting controversy doesn't touch Commander, so we don't have to go super deep into it. But if you haven't heard about Alchemy, uh, it, I don't know. It, there are interesting arguments sort of going yeah. on about it. it yeah, it's a, I think it's going to evolve quite a bit
2: too. So if you care about that sort of stuff, just sort of pay attention to what's happening.
1: Do you play uh, Arena much these days? Only drafting. Yeah, yeah. I only play I Limited and Sealed. I'll play Sealed either. too. Yeah. But I play no constructive formats at all. It's just not interesting to me personally. <laughs> I've got Commander to play <laughs> yeah, I've got commander.
2: Very, very, con- very Constructed. 100 card Constructed. <laughs>
1: All right, so let's wrap up here the year 2021 in Magic. Uh, We're going to start with talking about, start the wrap-up by talking about the biggest successes of the year for Magic in our estimation. What we thought were the biggest wins um, by WotC and MTG. Number one, I'm going to say the Strixhaven Precon decks. I agree. I thought they were very, very good. I wish there were not so many Precon decks. But if you (laughs) just look at those five, I mean so many throughout the year
2: they did great they're just really really solid they're just really good deck new ideas for red white and being an artifact recursion theme now I thought that was great to just expand what the color pie meant for them
1: Yep, the, just all the decks are interesting. They all have interesting cards. Nothing was broken or too powerful. It didn't warp the format in any way. Yeah. I just think Strixhaven Precons knocked it out of the park. That was a big win this year.
2: Yeah, another huge win is that we had good legendary creatures, no commanders that just stood out of the way that went, hey, why does this exist? So we had Korvold and Chulain, both from a very, right, right when they first doing those Brawl-specific decks definitely overtuned, overpowered and ended up being just completely extremely popular but also very just busted in a lot of ways and just made ubiquitous for unfun, in the power level too yeah and made for unfun environments where people took 50 minute turns or whatever
1: i think they hopefully learned after last year like hey let's stop making these commanders that say like if you sneeze draw a card and make some man <laughs> you know what i mean that's an unset card yeah But that's what it feels like. They went through a a period of eighteen months or so where there was just so many commanders coming out and the commanders basically said like scratch your nose, draw a card and make mana. Yeah. You know? And they've learned like that's actually not fun for and not healthy for commander if those resources are just trivial to get
2: and they've done that still but when a better way like will Helt and, and millicent right they have found ways to make these cards like okay here's a way that we can have a benefit but it's a tribe yeah or it's very specific and you have to build it around this sort of way it's not just like Chulain, which is just do anything yeah do
1: a thing Corbel's draw like, cards
2: yeah oh boy do you like sacrificing things in commander yeah it turns out 90 percent of your deck can do that and make you draw your entire deck if you want
1: yeah i think th- they've learned to go narrow not broad yeah. they started out broad yeah yeah uh, the next biggest win of the year I think was new white cards. And this oh, yeah. is something we've been talking about for a number of years. It's nice to sort of start to see a shift I think happening. We got Esper Sentinel, Welcoming Vampire, mancer 's map. In general, I can really feel Watsi's eyes sort of turn towards white, focus there a little bit and trying to bring them up to speed with the other colors. Red has been over the last five years, killing it, killing it. So many great cards with Jessica's will, Underworld, Breach, Doxide, Extortionist, tons of stuff. Uh, Storm, Killing Artist, Bergie, Like there's tons of crazy. Berge, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, white. I'm hopeful is starting to get there, and they're starting to sort of have a plan for it. I think so
2: too, and I think the thing that they need to be doing more of is more welcoming vampires and archaeomancer maps
1: types cards. Less Esper sentinels, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're
2: they're very good. Don't get me wrong, but Esper is good because it goes in also every single deck that plays white. So that's not where you want to be. I think they need to narrow it a little bit more to white, or just make the the cost like white white. What if there's like a white 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 necropolis type card? Restrict it really to white. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. um, Also, a big win is that we did not have to talk about anything that was so broken that we all hated it so much. Hull uh, Breacher, Opposition Agent, Jewel Lotus were all cards
1: that we had on our radar last year that we were like, I don't know. I think Opposition Agent has turned out to be mostly fine. Jewel Lotus, I think, has been what we thought, which it sucks uh, most of the time that it comes out early. And Hull got banned, so. <laughs> yeah, and Jewel Lotus, I think, just really affected the CEDH
2: crowd a lot, too, and just really pushed things in that world, so.
1: Yeah, um, Turgid is the only card I think you could make a case for this year. That, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah. yeah. okay uh oh and you put down oh yeah this is good red black's rise to power red black
2: has just been getting all of the treats you know i remember when i had to play the uh rakdos showstopper deck and i was like red black's okay and i played the neheb deck before that red black was not good back then now it's great we have prosper Tonebound, carter doom scourge florian olivia crimson bride right all of these really powerful red black cards and commanders and i think that Is similar to how Red White got an upgrade in terms of what they can do and what they're about.
1: Uh, Okay, now let's talk about the biggest whiffs of the year. The biggest, (laughs) yeah, the biggest losses for Magic and Wizards uh, this year. Reprints, I think, uh, were just fine. There were some good big ones that we talked about, but in general, the fact that there are not any big reprints in any of the standard sets it seems like just huge because yeah. There are a number of standard legal sets every single year. So that is at least 10 to 15, you know, $40 plus cards that we could have had reprinted this year that don't ha- that aren't going to happen. Yeah. And what happens is that t- that tends to make it so that they're going to double in price and make it even harder to reprint in the future and there'll be even more cards that you need to reprint in the future and so if you don't keep up, you fall behind mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then the format just gets more and more expensive. They can't rely on the Modern Horizons
2: set every single time to be the reprint set either cuz that's where most of them came from this year.
1: Yeah, you so. need you gotta put a couple in all the standards at Legal Score.
2: Graham Tudor was in a corset. Smothering so was five. Ugin.
1: Okay. Uh, too much product. Another big whiff of the year, I think. Yeah.
2: And it, we get it. Commander's great. Thank you. We love it. But we also can't take enough, too much of it.
1: Oh, you like that? Then have it every day. Then have it every day. Eat, all the eat, eat. The it's like
2: that. Uh, it's like the uh, the 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 thing in uh, <laughs> Spirit of the Way where it just starts eating yeah. everything. They're
1: like, give it more, give it more, and then it's just Commander players like, yeah. But at a certain point, we gotta we're gonna throw it all out. Uh, format stewardship. This is something that has been on my radar for the last few months, and I've been worried about a little bit. It's related to too much product. I think that the format of Commander is becoming too fast. We've talked about this. A lot Mm -hmm. over the over this year, I'd say, right? How the format's speeding up. Yeah, two mana rocks, three mana rocks are not as good anymore. You basically never see three mana rocks. Even Coalition Relic, I started taking out of decks because they made Liquid Metal Torque, and you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think this has been um, a failure this year of Wizards as far as having an overall plan for the Commander format. I think their plan was like, it's popular, let's give them a lot of stuff. Yeah, but they need to think of like, listen, what. Do people like about the format? And while we're giving more stuff to those players, let's make sure that we don't crush and destroy the things they like about the format. I think one of the things people like about the format, you know... It's fun and casual. And you get to play the big splashy stuff. And we've talked a lot this year about hey, listen, you got to lower your curve a little bit because the games are faster and you can't play as many seven, eight, nine drops. And originally the format was kind of supposed to be the place where you could do that stuff. Mm-hmm. And as it's evolved and gotten faster and more cards have come in, Man, not I can't case. put very many seven drops in my deck anymore because I just will not be able to play them.
2: Yeah, and if you do, someone's going to be so far in front of you that even playing it doesn't catch you up anymore, right? Even cards like
1: Sun Titan, that Sun Titan <laughs> that we used to think were just the bee's knees. It's hard to play that card now, to be honest, right? Like, do you play Sun Titan in all your white decks? No. No, you put it in some where there's synergy, but you just can't play it all the time. So I, I, I wish and I hope that Wizards and the people over there um, would sit down, and maybe they've done this and 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 come up with like a plan for stewardship of the format yeah to really have some you know maybe some rules or guidelines that say like when things push us in this direction we don't want to do that jewel lotus is not a healthy thing that we yeah, want we'd to we'd rather happening.
2: focus a little more on this side of it and i think we got a little closer because there was a lot of products and nothing inherently broke things as much but things are still trending downwards in terms of CM uh mana value average mana value and all that so i know we can't obviously run the other direction but we can at least go whoa there on the horse and maybe like keep it to a trot instead of uh, an increasing like was one actually the things that happens when you're on the horse if you're not careful you start going faster and faster and faster and before you realize that you're in the full Blown gallop. Let's not get to the gallop.
1: Yeah, I like that. All right, switching gears here. We are we are going to talk about twenty twenty two and our hopes for the next year. But really quickly, we wanted to sort of talk about our channel, yeah, Command Zone, our content. You know, because it was a big year for us. This is year eight, Josh. This we're going into year eight. This was year seven. Wow. Yeah,
2: we're almost in middle school. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was a landmark year for the Command Zone. We had the most views we've ever had in a year. We had the most watch time, which is an important metric for YouTube that we've ever had in a year. Yep. Uh, we crossed half a million subscribers Woo-hoo! this year. 500,000. Yeah. So cool. We and. just released our 50th episode of Game Nights. Can you believe that? Yeah, that's great. 50, 500. A lot of five O's here. Yeah, and it's our fifth year anniversary for Game Nights also. Nice. Not for a podcast. That's seven years. Yeah. But Game Nights, uh, yeah, I can't believe it's been 50 episodes. This yeah, crazy. we've only released... 70 episodes of the podcast and <laughs> this year yeah no
2: yeah yeah that's wild a lot of huge landmarks there and not only that but we've been increasing certain parts about game nights that we never would have been able to in year one yeah um and starting with like the guests i think is a great example of that this guy named austin came on the show
1: <laughs> pretty cool guy oh yeah yeah, we had uh, missing De- a Deathstroke. Deathstroke, yeah. missing a We had Hawk. Hawk. We had uh, Miguel, who is actually Sholo, and Jacob from Cobra Kai. Aaron Um, from Game Grumps, highly requested. Really fun having him on. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, Posty is Austin, as you said, as the big highlight of the year, but... Even if you took him off, this is by far our biggest year for like sort of big name guests on Game Night, so that was really exciting.
2: Yeah, and it was great. Again, uh, because of Dungeons and Dragons, we were able to get Joe Manganiello, right? Yep. So that is a connection that I hope we can keep making more of in the future. Maybe there's some big Warhammer 40k nut out there
1: too. Okay, yeah. That's, I wanted to ask you in 2022, hmm. what is your dream guest or somebody somebody attainable? I said Barack Obama when yeah. we did our behind <laughs> I the know, scenes. I, was and I, say Obama I don't back. think we could actually get him, but like you know, who? Let's let's put it. What is it when you? It manifests. Manifest. Yeah, yeah
2: exactly put it down the universe. Well, this is kind of a cheat because I have been asking them about uh, whether or not they play, but I have heard that members of the Try Guys uh, oh. who I've collaborated with multiple times in the past have been on their show uh, ha- do play Magic. Now, I don't know their commander-specific knowledge or if they play commander, but as the year goes on, there's plenty of time for them to learn and there's plenty of sets hopefully that they can jump in with us or at okay. least some of the members.
1: Who knows? That would be really cool. I, I got a good one, but I-, I don't know that he plays, but we, I know that he likes things that are kind of magic adjacent oh so henry cavill oh <gasps> that's right
2: the witcher himself superman
1: he we know he plays world of warcraft and he's a gamer who builds computers and stuff plays warhammer yeah true so warhammer is going to come out this wait year wait a minute he's our joe manganella for warhammer <laughs> maybe that listen don't get excited because we don't know him or anybody that knows him but i if I'm joe's just, watching i, I hope just want to
2: manifest it i hope you like that i compared you to henry cavill or the other one they're around. both super buff you're both super buff and handsome and beautiful people and both talented of them nerds.
1: crush us with one hand <laughs>
2: Jeez. with one stroke of okay
1: uh yeah that'd be really Oh, well, they cool. exist in the same dc universe
2: too That's so true. maybe they'll fight someday or together on uh, game nights right. now we're really going out of the out of, out of hand okay
1: Uh, Another thing that happened this year is we had the most episodes of extra turns that we've ever had. You have to read what you wrote. Extra, extra turns. Thank you. (laughs) So we released 11 episodes of XT this year. Wow. Uh, And I think it's been a really good chance for us to kind of get back to our roots and show off our own personal decks. It's also been an opportunity to introduce our Command Zone staff to the audience.
2: Yeah, and let us know too if you guys have enjoyed seeing more of the people around the office. Obviously, there are so many talented deck builders and players here and great personalities. So extra turns is a really awesome
1: way to highlight that part of our our hardworking team here. And we should say our our team has continued to grow this year. We've added a bunch of people. So Mm -hmm. we've got a much bigger team than we used to have. Uh, Allows us to do a bunch of stuff that we've never done before, which is the next point, uh, the special projects that we did this year. Yep. Um. So we used to only twice before we did kind of a little sketch for the holiday episodes. Remember that one where we're in sleeping bags? On oh, the ground? yeah, yeah. And Saint Nicholas Nicol Bolas showed up, in, yeah. yeah, with the claw and everything. And then we did the holiday movie parodies with, with Josh,
2: like, Kim, and uh, Lady Lady yep, Nicki couch. yep, 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 and yep. And Craig
1: doing the uh, what is the what is that? Oh, uh, uh, Love the, Actually the love thing. Actually sign. Yeah,
2: me running through the streets, you carrying me up
1: a mountain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was great. So this year we really, you know. We really did a lot more of that, and we did it throughout the year. And you kind of talked about this earlier, Jimmy, but the Strixhaven College videos that were... That was the start, I think. Yeah, that was our first foray into, like, what if we did this more often? Uh, we did it all on green screen down crazy. here in the office. We'll show some behind-the-screens footage, but... Behind-the-screens. Behind-the-scenes footage, sorry. <laughs> uh, And And probably this project was a little bit over-ambitious, I'll say. We barely got it done, and it was a lot of, like, sleepless nights. Yeah, it weekend. wasn't just, like, let's do our favorite college. Let's do every
2: single one, bespoke things college and the premise was awesome it's the kind of thing that you would submit to a to a company if you're doing a brand deal for them like maybe a year in advance yeah and we <laughs> we did
1: the whole thing in like six weeks it was a lot of like it was it was a couple of back-to-back like 90 hour work weeks at the end there our team really really worked their butts off but we were passionate about it and we wanted to pull off and make it cool um in fact we're going to show the college videos. Uh, we've we've done four special projects. We're going to show them all. If you're watching on audio, we won't show them because they don't work very good in audio. But if you're watching <laughs> yeah. the video on YouTube, then uh, you're going to get to watch the Strixhaven college videos here. I think the Silver Quill one, which we're going to start with, is everybody's favorite. Oh yeah, um, that turned out super good. But but they're all they're all awesome in many ways. So we're going to play them real quick. And of course, the Lore Hall video was animated. Yeah,
2: entirely animated with Marshall
1: narrating and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, Again, another chance for us to pull in our friends and people we want to work with or get to know to have you know little cameos and roles like that. Yeah, I think that was the first time we got to work with Erica Ishii. Yep.
2: Uh, we've obviously worked with Josh Kim and Daniel Kim a lot, Service Arms. Um, but it was great because it was so cool, just like looking at our friend group and being like, "Yeah, you are part of this school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this does work for you.
1: Nice. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, you're totally DJ. Was like, you just yeah. look Laurel. Yeah, you? yeah. By the way, DJ's <laughs> outfit in the um in the video. He just owned that. That was his outfit yeah. that he already owned.
2: And his whole thing is literally an elephant, right? Yeah. It's like it's, it almost matches. It just feels so lower hold, yeah. Uh, the next one that we did was me and Josh going to play Magic of the Gathering in a D&D tavern. And this I was so much fun because this we really got to stretch out and ask for a lot of different people to come in that we had never worked with before. And now we have all these new connections.
1: Yeah, we met a lot of people through this. And this was... I should say that uh, all this stuff was written by Jordan Pridgen and uh, Jamie Block helped with the last couple. Uh, Dan Sheehan helped with this next one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jordan wrote the Strixhaven stuff by himself. So they did a great job sort of conceptualizing. Yeah, big props to those guys. Yeah. This, again, was also done on a green screen. Um, So the Tavern was created digitally in Unreal Engine. And our VFX team and Jake Boss and everybody did a really great job like comping all this stuff in because the Tavern looks amazing.
2: Yeah, and this is the first time we also started to really reach into building things in Unreal Engine too. Yeah. Uh, so that was another big step that we started making you might see it sort of in the beginning of some of the Game Nights episodes when we talk about the product all of a sudden they're in like a forest and stuff so these, this sort of technology started to get opened up to us around the D&D Tavern video time. Alright let's play the D&D uh, video ah now the practical elements that were there was the table in front of us and the dice and all that stuff so it's cool you can blend a little bit of the real with
1: a lot of the fake yeah but you can't turned tell out, turned oh, out really and the door we opened in the beginning oh yeah just the door <laughs> they'll show you a behind the scenes footage but it, it behind the door and it's to the sides of the door is just green and people holding it up as like, <laughs> oh, yeah, cause it could not move. move yeah <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) Uh, We also did a video for the Innistrad um, Crimson Vow, which was Jimmy and I on our way to Olivia's wedding. (laughs) Why we didn't make it? Why didn't we actually make it to the game night table? Is because of this video, yeah. So let's show it. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, we actually shot the car in the driveway out front of our office, mm-hmm. which is a green screen behind it. That was pretty fun. Yeah, we had uh, Damon with a fly, with a literal yeah Damon and Shauna with uh, lights uh, on
2: their phones going like this to simulate cars passing by.
1: Well, yeah, we really like the light can really coming through, like, the yeah, yeah, through, yeah. through the trees. The trees yeah, yeah, I think that's that's that it right.
2: works really well actually when you when you watch it, the light feels real. So yeah. Uh, And we had a bunch of great cameos there too. B. Dave Walters finally uh, got to work with him and he nailed it, absolutely rocked it. So it was really cool to just, again, just watch the team come together and figure out how to make a full-blown production, but with a limited staff when people that had never done a lot of these jobs before. So that to me is the heart of indie YouTube filmmaking.
1: Yeah, and I don't think we ever said it in the episode, but uh, we also had Xander and Aliza and B-Dave. They're all from LA by Night, which is a yeah. Vampire the Masquerade role-playing show on uh, Twitch and YouTube. And Josephine McAdam, who was in that episode, is also from LA by Night. So it was a big nod towards that vampire role-playing community. Yep. Uh, and then, of course, just recently, this episode came out, uh, the Bling Miss Holiday episode for this year. Um, and we did... This harkens back to, you can sort of see the progression of we did a Peanuts sketch mm-hmm. in the holiday episode last year, and then we did the Lorehold animated video this year, and then we tr- we were like, we should do this animation more. Timothy! Yeah, so we came up with this Blingmas video, or Jordan and Jamie did. Uh, that we decided to do three different styles of animated sort of storytelling within it
2: yeah josh looking amazing next to santa me going through the forest i
1: love your puppet the style it's of incredible it. yeah, yeah it's,
2: it's really awesome we're gonna have to do more with that so anyway we'll play, again we'll play we'll play the clip merry blingmas everyone uh merry blingmas. that was definitely a lot of fun
1: yeah, so I guess um, that's our content from this year. And the special projects, yeah. Yeah, sure the, the cool stuff up. that happened. Really appreciate everybody who watched everything and supported us this year.
2: Looking forward to doing more next year. And I will say that original Kickstarter we had that was about supporting game nights, the supporters that, that jumped on that Kickstarter back then, that's what really kickstarted, to put the word again, Uh all of this from ha- to yeah. happen. More extra turns, more special things, bigger staff. Just allowed us to to understand that we could dream a little bigger with your support. So as always, big thanks to everyone that supports us on Kickstarter,
1: as well as Patreon and everywhere else. And trust me. We're dreaming even bigger and bigger. So, yeah. It, yeah. Keep that support up because we're going to make it worth your while. All right. Let's look ahead really quick here to 2022 and what our hopes are for magic. Mm hmm. Lots uh, of big stuff coming. Yeah. So, we got Universes Beyond coming next year. We know Warhammer 40K being the really big one, Lord of the Rings as well. Yeah. Um, I think Lord of the Rings is 2023. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. But Warhammer 40K is a big property that's coming and going to be similar, to I think, to DND d has uh, Baldur's Gate, right? Yep, for, our Commander, for Commander Legend, Legend set. set. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think we've already talked about University on how we feel about it, but that is definitely a big thing that's coming in 2022.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing and feeling it more like what we have with Ventures in the Forgotten Realms. I would love to be able to repeat that success because that really made me have fun with the overall uh, the project and how it turned out and all the cards and all that stuff. So hopefully more of that.
1: Uh, we've got Commander Products coming in next year, but we... Don't know. We don't know. I'm hope uh, I don't know. They probably... If we had to place a bet, do you think there are going to be multiple sets next year that have more than that have four or more commander decks? Yeah. I think I think
2: Warhammer and Baldur's Gate will both have four decks probably, minimum, and maybe one of the regular sets too. I wish they wouldn't do that. Just do the two, and then once a year do five. Yeah. Well, Josh, I ain't no genie. Can't grant no wishes. Okay. uh, We also have the Netflix Magic the Gathering series. We got a tiny preview of it. We know that Brandon Ruth is going to be voicing Gideon. Uh, Very exciting. I haven't seen anything from it. I'm I'm hoping it it meets expectations. It's definitely a big thing to come on the heels of Arcane, which is League of Legends show, but also maybe League of Legends paved the way for
1: shows like this one to succeed. League of Legends took, or Arcane took six years. (laughs) True. This one will have taken uh, about three, I think. Yeah. So I think it's going to be different animation styles and and very much set. It's going to be its own thing, so please evaluate that. I think it will be unrealistic to hope that it's as good as Arcane, only because Arcane is so good very few things are that good no matter what yeah they put a lot of time and
2: effort into it that's for sure
1: so yeah let's measure the Netflix MTG series on its own if it's just good for what it is and not in comparison to anything else I'll be happy
2: yep a uh, bunch of new sets coming up. We got Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, Streets of New Capenna, Warhammer 40k, The Brothers War, and then Commander Legends, Baldur's, Baldur's Gate. Yeah. What, so. what
1: set next year are you looking forward to the most at this? Neon point? Neon Dynasty, man. It just sweet. it, just I just love the colors.
2: I love the I love Kamigawa, so that's a no brainer for me. Oh, I gotta say New Capenna because.
1: I'm gonna make you an offer you can't refuse. Yeah. I'm just excited about the special projects Man, we're going to do. That's the game
2: nights episode we're just going back and forth. <laughs> oh my God, this wedding. That would be, that'd be pretty funny. Uh,
1: real quick, Command Zone content in 2022. Just wanted to put, again, manifesting here and putting it out there yeah. for, yeah, uh, we want to do more of the special projects. Mm-hmm. We want to bring the round tables back. That's kind of a point of emphasis. Obviously, it's going to be pandemic willing because that does make it a, little, a lot tougher. Yes, yes, um, exactly. But that's something I think Or we got to figure out a better skype situation it's been hard to put them together in the past that they take more work than you think but i know people like those and i would like to bring them back and do them more regularly
2: yeah and to balance it out as well set reviews so we're that just not jumping from that into a roundtable into another set review right so hopefully breathing a little bit more there too
1: uh, this is going to sound crazy. Some people, but higher production quality is one of our goals. Always our goal. Always be better. We got some plans that will we, we'll blow our current production quality out of the water if we can pull them off. Yep. It's probably going to be months and months before uh, we get to them, but you know, it's but coming. But we're working on it. Thanks to your support too, yeah. by the way. And new programming, you know, we've been working behind the scenes trying to figure out, you know, we've got game nights, we've got externs, we've got mm-hmm. the podcast, we've got the round table. What is a new content offering, a new show or series that we could put out in the world? And I think 2022 will be uh, a year where we try and, you know, maybe launch another show or another piece of content. That's... Or at least start developing it and testing the waters for it, too. Yeah. So, all right, everybody. I know this has been a long episodes. Thanks for sticking with us and thanks for sticking with us all year. All year. To- Eight years. All seven years. Seven years, yeah. Into yeah. the eighth now. Uh, to the listeners, what were your favorite moments in Magic in 2021? What was your favorite set or product? What was your favorite piece of Command Zone content?
2: And what do you want to see more of in the future as we move into 2022?
1: Whew. More cards. You, yeah, if what you'd like to see more of is cards in on your battlefield, then uh, channelfireball.com slash command is the place to go to get that stuff. Right. At the time you're watching this, I believe it's winding down but there is an auction on eBay going on right now. Four auctions, actually. Oh, yeah, for the decks we played in the Game Night's Blame last episode. That's right. If you want to get your hands on Jimmy's a Secret Super Friends deck, my uh, Dragons Without Borders, Aaron's Masterpiece. Enlightened Masterpieces deck, that Woo! one's amazing, uh, Olivia Saskia Showcase Showdown deck those decks, the physical decks we played on the episode, we actually all signed each of the commanders, and Channel Fireball generously is putting those up for auction, and all the proceeds are going to uh, No Kid Hungry, mm-hmm. which is um, a charity that helps uh, mothers child and hunger. children uh, Yeah, just trying in to end US. child hunger in the U.S. Yeah, so, very, uh, very good charity. All those links will be in the show notes uh, if you want to get involved with the auctions and support a great cause. Or just buy some fetchlands
2: at ChannelFireball.com slash command. And hey, look, you know it's a new year, new me, also New playmat, new dice, new deck box, new sleeves—all those things. Sometimes you do need to replace sleeves because they get a little dingy. Yeah. You play them too much, or you want to put them on a new or playmat because it's really cool and hollow foil. Ultra has got your back. We've been trusting them for many, many years to protect our game pieces, and they can protect yours too, especially when you're going to buy those awesome well maybe the deck you want to resleeve that oh boy if you a
1: masterpiece deck please put it in eclipse sleeves because and then in a satin tower and then put that satin tower inside of some kind of safe or other yeah. deck box and then put that safe inside of saran wrap and then put that saran wrap inside of like a bathtub and then put it out okay i don't and know and then play the bathtub and be like i win the game boom <laughs> you're like i want to play this deck hold on i gotta hold to on be, uh, yeah i'll be back in an hour all right end step we're gonna skip because this episode is like two hours long Woo. but i want to give a big thanks to our amazing team here at the command zone who has worked so hard this entire. Year, Arthur Meadowcroft, who's probably editing this episode, Lady Danger, Manson Lung, Craig Blanchette, Ashlyn Rose, Josh Murphy, Jake Bosch. Patrick Nan, Jordan Pridgeon Sam Waldo, Garav Galati, Truck Ty, Jamie Block, Damon Lenz, and Shauna Gillis, who are probably also helping out of this episode because mm-hmm. it's so long, and uh, Evan Limberger, who's one of our new VFX people. And Thanks, yep. Love it. Oh, yeah. He did the, some of the illustrations for the... Um, Blingmas. Yeah, for my part of the Blingmas story. So, we have an amazing team. Super, super talented. They work so hard. Um, so, just want to give them... If you want to wish them a happy holidays and a, and a joyous New Year's in the comments we would be appreciative. Yeah, you can also find their usernames and tags and all that stuff. And big thanks,
2: as always, Jeffrey Palmer, who does the Living Card Animations that start our show and sometimes live behind us here on set. You can find them on Twitter at Living Cards LivingCardsMTG.
1: Whew. All right. All right, everybody. Thank you for watching. Thanks for sticking
2: with us all year. And have a very happy end of 2021. And here's to a great 2022.
1: We'll see you next year. Bye.
0: Peace.